get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't, I'll tell you this, I don't like not pitching in a playoff series. And so you could take that one of two ways. You could take that as it's been a good run, or you could take that as, as motivation to not, never let that happen again. Well, that was Adam Wainwright last season talking about not being picked to start in the wild card round against the Phillies. And alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And that, of course, was alluding to Adam Wainwright's return, which we found out earlier this morning. Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch first reported that Adam Wainwright is coming back for the 2023 season for the Cardinals. Uh, No terms released or anything like that. Uh, John Mozeliak is expected. Probably a five-year deal. I would imagine if BK's handing out extensions, it's 10 years, $100 million. That's how he usually likes to hand out. We all know Wayno could probably pitch till he's 55, right? Uh, I don't know. Did you watch the last month? Oh, uh, okay. That's, oh, was that unnecessary. was unnecessary. Why do you hate Wayno and why do you hate St. Louis? Hey, I wanted to bring him back. BK's a guy that's always been voting to get rid of him. John Mozeliak is going to speak to the media kind of that end of the season press conference at 1130, which kind of makes sense as to why it's taken so long and Adam Wainwright's news. I think they're intertwined with each other. But let's just start with that. Brooke, your initial thoughts when you find out that Adam Wainwright is coming back for what could be possibly be his uh his final year well first i'll just start with saying that the timing of this because media members we were alerted yesterday that Mosellock would be holding a press conference and i was like i texted the cardinals pr person i was like is this about anything in particular you were thinking what i was thinking yeah. right Aaron and, Judge. and he was like he was like oh no you know just season you know wrap up and then looking at the offseason i was like yeah, okay. are you sure like the the timing of this was interesting so we knew it was going to be something and then you saw the stuff come out about skip shoemaker which i'm sure that we'll get into a little bit later on but adam wainwright i think it makes sense we all knew this was going to happen right and it seems like the issues if what he explained is true on twitter that it was more of just getting hit in the leg that kind of threw off his you know stride his game all that kind of stuff so you don't about the arm because for a while we kept hearing dead arm mechanical issues and that is concerning if you were going to bring him back but if it's just something that he kind of overlooked and should have gotten on top of more which is what he said in that twitter explanation then you would hope okay he's going to come back fully healthy 
Yeah, I can't I can't say that I'm like shocked by the news. I kind of expected that Adam Wainwright would be back because of what he hinted to at I think it was around July where he said, you know, two, it's not the end of the world if I don't want to get to 200 wins, but then he said I want to get to surpass Jesse Haynes and I think it's what 205 or something uh, like that. Yeah, I thought it was like 210. So, I I'm not shocked to hear that Adam Wainwright's coming back. I don't know if this will be the final year if he hopes to pitch another year following this. But now the Cardinals rotation is set. I think you don't have to worry about the Cardinals going out there looking for an ace. They've now solidified the rotation. It is going to be Adam Wainwright, Stephen Matz, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, and Miles Michaelis. The Adding Adam Wainwright, and I never thought it was a question of, oh, is it going to be Adam Wainwright? Are they going to go get an ace? No, it definitely feels like it was always going to be Adam Wainwright. Now you have that rotation set, and now they can shift their focus elsewhere. This was just the first domino to fall. I think the second domino to fall will be Arnado will either opt in or they will uh, get There's that no final either. contract. No, no, what I'm saying oh, is they'll, okay. they'll add another year to that contract and make it better for Arnado at the dare final year. start with, is no, he he's not, opt out? He's not opting out. I can promise you that. Uh, but this is the first domino to fall of the Cardinals offseason. The second one will be Arnado. And then the hot stove will really start once they get to the GM meetings. Yeah, and I think this kind of at least begins the hot stove conversation. And you guys are right. I, I was not surprised by this. I fully expected Adam Wainwright to return, especially once you saw that he wasn't pitching in the wild card round. You know that was going to irk a guy like Adam Wainwright. And he wasn't, for what he saw all season of Yachty and Pujols getting that reckon, recognition, Wainwright was not going to call it a career that way for how he played in St. Louis. So that's the way to go with it. And look, somebody's already texting in in the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And please text us today, uh, whether it's your Cardinals takes, your Blues takes, we're going to be with you all day long from 11 to 2. From the 618, Alex, what are the chances that Wayno took a discount to help improve this team? So the spot rack projection for him was around $8.8 million. At least that's what I'm looking at. The market value for Adam Wainwright he made 17 and a half last season. I don't think he's going to sign for $8 million. I think he could probably go in between there and nine, $10 million. I think is probably what you're looking at for Adam Wainwright, unless he does go into this with the incentives that the Cardinals would be willing to say like, Hey, we'll start you at 8 million with the potential of you getting to 15 million. I really hope he signed a, team-friendly contract like because that would, be, contract? that would be really helpful yes yeah. because then they have more money to spend in free agency the 17 million dollars felt like a lot when he signed that last year and i get it, he was coming off a really good year but it was for an aging pitcher hopefully it is a team-friendly deal hopefully it is around that 10 million dollar range basically what i thought jose quintana might get if he goes to the open market because then it allows more flexible spending for the cardinals every dollar is going to matter when they go into free agency so my hope is it's a team-friendly deal and not around that same base salary as it was last year. If it is around that, hopefully it is because there's incentives involved. It'll be inter- That's the thing I'm most curious to find out about this Wayno contract is what is this salary going to be for Wayno? Because that is going to give us more of an idea of, okay, we talked about this yesterday. We think they have about $40 million to play with after arbitration. If you bring everybody back around $40 million for people going into free agency this year, and maybe if you expand the payroll, it's 50. Well, Wayno's going to take up a chunk of that, so we'll see what his salary is, and I'm very curious to know what it looks like once we get the numbers reported. Well, and look, real quick, let me just redeem myself real quick because I have to give a shout-out. Look, to the text line, you have to appreciate when they call you out on something. I was just talking to my coworker whose last name is Shoemaker, and I know it skipped Schumacher. I apologize for that. It's very similar names, okay? I was that was what was going on there, so Never I know who skipped it. I know. I'm Brooke. sorry because they're look, sometimes they're right. 
And you got to give them credit there. So I appreciate them they're pointing usually, that out. They're usually only right when they point things out about me and Tanner. That's when they're correct. But, but um, I think that it also, it brings up my secondary thought was, what does this mean for Jose Quintana yeah. and his return? Because... When you're kind of talking about Adam Wainwright and if he kind of took a little bit of a discount, that would be helpful and possibly bring back Jose Quintana, who was a huge workhorse for you in that second half of the season. And you needed him in that postseason as well. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I think I pretty much have written off Jose Quintana as a Cardinal now because Adam Wainwright's back because your rotation is set. Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, Stephen Matz, Adam Wainwright. And that's not even bringing into the conversation guys that could be in this rotation for them next year. I mean, they've shown the the want of Matthew Libertor. Zach Thompson is an option for you. Andre Palante is an option. And let's not forget the ace of this staff, Dakota Hudson. All of these guys are on the outside looking in. I'm going to keep glossing past this because nobody said anything. Unbelievable. You, you, Jose Quintana, to me, is not wanting, going, to, going to want to come back to St. Louis because for the way he performed, I'm going to want to be in a rotation and get paid because I, play, I, pay, I played very well. I, there's just not a spot for him. Now, if injuries arise and nobody signs Jose Quintana by the time spring training rolls around, then I can see the Cardinals going back to him and saying like, hey, we got a spot for you now. But for now, I think they're done with the starting pitching market. I Yeah, I mean, you would you would think so theoretically, especially if Wayno was going to get that 17 to 18 million is what you'd kind of expect after his contract last season. Mm-hmm. But what if, I'm just saying theoretically, Ooh, like he these. took a little bit of a hometown discount for Adam Wade, right? And... You're looking at Wilson Contreras, who we keep talking about, and Wilson Contreras and Jose Quintana have a great relationship. Jose already mentioned that he was already talking to Contreras about St. Louis and how great the Cardinals organization is. Yeah. Just theoretically, no, just no, throwing I, all hey, that out there. What if you could have all that? You're talking to the king of tinfoil right now, Brooks. I mean, I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down there. Then the conversation becomes like if Contreras says, I want to be here, but I want Jose Quintana with me. One, I don't know if that would take place, but if it helps, I mean, I don't know. Is Jose Quintana an option for you out of the bullpen to be one of those long men for you? I don't know if the Cardinals would be interested in that. I don't know if he would be interested in that. I, I'll i say this now, and you can put me on the record of it. Unless an injury occurs, I think there's a 0% chance that Jose Quintana is back as a St. Louis Cardinal. God, you guys are crushing me. It's just, I, it's just I because he can fantastic. get a multi... I, I think he's fantastic. I think he'd be great in this rotation. Problem is, is he, it's already filled. And if I'm Jose Quintana, and I think my... I don't know if it was Michael Gersher or John Moses, Excuse me. You get emotional about I Quintana, am, I'm going to miss him. <laughs> Sorry, man. He'll be back. He, you guys can't see it, but Tanner is actually kind of crying, shedding tears right now. I think it was Michael Gersh on the best podcast of baseball, Derek Gould, but like right after the trade deadline. He was asked a question of, well, why don't you guys go and get guys like Jose Quintana to come in and be a depth starter for yeah. you? And it's because those guys know they can get deals elsewhere. That's why Quintana went to Pittsburgh. He knew he could be one of the five that's going to start. Hey. And then if he's really good, hey, congrats, you're going to go to a contender because Pittsburgh's going to trade that's you. That's what teams want to do now. And, they want to get assets for a pitcher who's pitching well. And now if you're Quintana, you can sign a multi-year deal. It sounds like he's probably going to get a two-year deal somewhere. He can go be a guaranteed starter somewhere and have multiple years of certainty. It's not that I don't like Jose Quintana. I thought he was awesome for the St. Louis Cardinals. He exceeded my expectations after they acquired him. 
It's just hard to find him fitting into the puzzle of what the rotation is. Right now, he's a piece that's an extra piece that doesn't fit into this puzzle. Someone from the 402, done with the pitching market. Come on, Alex. The hot stove hasn't even started yet. What if they make a trade for with one of those starters? Apologize, you, did, Alex. I know. Apologize, <laughs> damn it. Does anybody really believe who on that pitching staff is going to be traded away? Well, let's run through it real quick. Wayno? No. No. Uh, let's go Steven Matz. Why? Probably doesn't he's, have the he's value. He's just injured. And well, you just signed him to a four-year contract. Yeah, there's no value. Exactly. Michaelis, you probably don't move him because he's one-year one deal. Year oh, this is his last year, too. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, they really liked. Last year, too. And then a lot of people would say, well, trade Jack Flaherty. Oh, yeah. Well, everyone wants Jack not, Flaherty right now. You're not selling low on a guy that could potentially be an ace. It's so. not going to happen there. So that's the Adam Wainwright side of things. And again, John Mazalek expected to talk with the media uh, a little bit later on. One more that I did want to mention before we take a break um, Skip Schumacher, not coming back as the bench coach. Got the job with the Marlins, which is awesome for him. Um, I didn't expect him to go to Miami because I thought he was a West Coast guy, but it's a really good spot for a team that has some good pieces in place. Not so much about Skip moving on because that's a hole, but the Cardinals will have to fill it. They filled it last year with Skip. Who are the options that you're looking at in terms of bench coach for this team this season now? Because... You've got some internal options. You've got some external options. Anybody popping to either of you guys that you'd like to see get that position? Yes. I would like to say Stubby Clap. I think he's a favorite. And I know that everybody, we've seen this on Twitter. Matt Holiday, you would love to see yeah. him come back in that way. I feel like he's helped the Cardinals so much in the past few years from kind of an outside role. It would be so great to have him actually there as a bench coach. I feel like a lot of the players respect him, talk to him. We know his relationship with Nolan Arenado and how great that is. And that would almost seems like it could also help out hitting a little bit. You yep. have that expertise as well on your staff. Not a bad, not a bad choice. My, my gut would tell me, I think holiday will get, interest from the Cardinals, my gut tells me they will stick internal and they will move either Stubby Clap or Pop Warner to the bench coach spot, and then they will either bring up the Springfield Cardinal manager because yeah. he's got the connection with ben Walker jo- and Wayne. Oh, I'm not Springfield. Ben Josh Johnson's Leager. in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Ben Johnson is another guy that I think, or Josh Leager because of his connection with Walker and Winter getting already called up, or Ben Johnson because he's got the connections with like Yepes, Donovan, all those guys that were part of Memphis Mafia 2.0. Yeah. I see one of those guys getting promoted to a first base or third base coach job, and then Pop or Stubby Clap taking the bench coach I don't position. Think, I don't think Holiday would want it, and this is just my opinion. Um, I think Holiday wants to be the manager, and I know this is how you get to that spot, but I know Holiday's the one his one son was drafted, but he's got the other son that's still involved with athletics. So I, I like the idea of Holiday. I'm not sure. I think it'll be Stubby Clap because Stubby was the manager for Memphis for multiple years, had success. You're bringing that there. The players love him. The one that I heard yesterday, though, that I love is one Anthony Stalter brought up with with BT on the fast lane. And he mentioned Shelly Duncan, Chris Duncan's brother. Shelly Duncan, mm. he's in analytics with the White Sox. Um I don't know how likely this is, but Stoltz mentioned how much Shelley wanted to be in a managerial position. But the fact that he's working in the analytical side, I wonder if that's an area that they would look at just because you're adding more analytics to a team. And I know people hate that word analytics, but you're adding it to a guy who embraces it in Ali Marmol as the manager. So Hey, it's Moneyball, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the game right now. So we'll uh, maybe get some... More information on that once we hear from John Mazalak, who's speaking at 1130. And we're hopefully going to be able to stream that for you, but we're not sure where the stream is going to be coming from. So if anything, we'll have some audio for you, hopefully later on in the show. Coming up in 15 minutes, though, 
Is this the year that the Cardinals can bank on their younger players filling the DH spot? But coming up next, the blue special teams. It's been up. It's been down. Where are you sitting at right now with their power play and penalty kill? We'll discuss next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We will be carrying the John Mosellock uh, presser coming up at 1130 or a little after. Uh, Camo V is going to be streaming that, so we're going to carry that coming up in our next segment. John Mosellock speaking with the media, kind of the postseason exit. But now, Blues back in action tonight. They take on the Edmonton Oilers. 7 o'clock puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame with myself and Joe Vitale. And special teams was very impactful in that game against Edmonton last Saturday where they scored on the power play. Uh, and they went one for one on the penalty kill to eliminate Edmonton's opportunity to tie things up. Last year's special teams, Brooke, they were great. Top five in the power play and the penalty kill. And this season, the penalty kill has been excellent. It's 100%. They just went five for five against the Winnipeg Jets. They've only allowed a couple of shots on goal, and all of those shots came against Winnipeg. So penalty kill is right where you needed it to be. Where are people at on the power play, though? Because they stand right now two for nine and 13 shots on goal. They've been missing a couple of impact pieces on that power play, specifically Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad, but two for nine to start off early in the season. It's not too shabby, but you obviously are hoping it's a little bit better than that. Personally, and I've been kind of going back and forth with this, I'm going to cut them just a little bit of slack. One, I mean, it's just four games into the season. Two, you have Jordan Cairo stepping into a different role. I mean, nobody expects him to be David Perron. Of course, we all know that. But still, you know, this is a whole new role in general for Jordan Cairo. A lot more pressure coming in. I think in general, we've kind of seen him kind of still finding his way offensively, still trying to build some chemistry with his teammates and including that power play unit. So I'm not going to say, okay, now it's time to overhaul everything and let's let's just figure something right. else out. I think that once Jordan Cairo gets a little bit more comfortable, that's when you're going to see a lot more success on the Blues power play. I, I agree with that. I The power play for me, like I'm not going to judge it until I see a long stretch where I have Pavel Buchnevich on that ice. And I mean, the last game against Winnipeg, Josh Levo and Logan Brown were playing on the power play second unit. And it was very obvious that that had no chemistry. Here, I know. Here's the one... <laughs> Here is the one thing for me, though, that I am kind of keeping a close eye on when it comes to the power play. It's the amount of shots that they're generating. So, so far in those four or the nine power play opportunities, they've only got a total of 13 shots on goal. And when the power play is right, they score. And it's usually on the first or second shot. And if it's not that way, you're not seeing a whole lot of shot attempts on the power play. It's usually the one and done methods where they set it up. They try and make the play. If it's not there, puck comes out of the zone. You want a little bit more sustained zone time on those power plays just so that you can become a threat. But again, to fall into that category, it's too hard to judge when you've played four games and two of those four, you haven't had two of your better power play players on it. Well, and you know, you also kind of miss David Perron firing those one timers. too. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing that you're, you kind of are like waiting for, right? When it comes to the blues power play is you want to see somebody kind of take over that role because I mean, it was just what David Perron was known for was firing those one timers and the blues were very successful, obviously with him. 
um, in the power play unit. But I think with Buchnevich as kind of a question mark, when he returns, I kind of look to him as having that really powerful shot. Jordan Cairo is still getting there. And I think it's just him getting more comfortable in this new elevated role that he has. And I think it's the chemistry building it too. Cairo and O'Reilly play on that power play unit together. Shen was on it, but had to be moved up. It's just the chemistry more than anything, which I think is the perfect narrative of this Blues team so far through four games in the season. They've looked great. They're three and one. But the chemistry on offense is something that I think everybody is keeping a close eye on. And they get another big test tonight against this Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl line uh, inside Enterprise Center. We'll talk more Blues a little bit later on. Chris Kerb is going to join us at 1.30. But coming up next, John Mozeliak's press conference at Bush Stadium to wrap up the season. I'll meet with the media members and we'll stream that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as we are going to head out to Bush Stadium now, courtesy of KMOV's stream, as we are going to carry John Mozeliak speaking with the media at the end of the season, his postseason exit interview. Thank you, and uh, good morning. Uh, nice to see everybody again. Um, I think uh, a, a lot of what I have to discuss today is some things that you may be aware of and some of the other things you may not be aware of. So really the topics uh, I want to touch on are Adam Wainwright, staff changes, Nolan Arnato, and then uh, maybe a little bit of uh, what 2023 looks like for us. So, you know, starting with Adam Wainwright, obviously we're, we're – you know, super excited that he's coming back. Um, I think some of you understood that he did have interest in, in pitching again. He and I started talking about this, you know, early September. Um, you know, obviously, the September didn't go as the way he really wanted it to. But, you know, we really do feel like there, there's something left in that tank. And, and uh, we all know how competitive he is. We know how special he is um, in that clubhouse and what he means to this organization. So... You know, just glad we were able to get it done. I think uh, um, he can have a normal off-season. I spoke with him this morning. He's, he's excited. He's energized. And obviously, uh, um, you know, you think about how we look at our roster um, next year, you, you're always going to be needing pitching. And so having him come back is, is certainly helpful for all of us. Now, staff changes. Um, I'm sure you're all aware, Skip Schumacher is now the manager of the Marlins, um, so that's going to create a hole at, at uh, bench coach. Jeff Albert has uh, chosen not to return. Mike Maddox will be stepping down. He's not retiring. He was not fired. He wants to do something different. He wants to do something at a different pace. Brian Eversgird, he will be uh, reassigned within the organization and uh, – will work as a special assistant. So clearly we have a lot of openings, um, four to be exact, uh, bench coach, pitching coach, bullpen coach, and hitting coach. So what's next steps? Next steps are obviously we've got to put together a list of candidates who we think can fill that. We will look internally and we'll look externally. Um, you know, we know we have some qualified people within the organization, but we also want to make sure that we're addressing um, all our needs and uh, so you know we've been aware of this for a little bit but um, we've done some preliminary work on it 
but but clearly there, there's more to do, and um, you know, so we'll keep you up to date as that process unfolds. Uh, Nolan Arnado, um, you guys are all aware he has an out clause in his contract. Uh, I, I went out and met with him on Monday just to discuss the situation, and uh, very hopeful there's some resolution here uh, shortly. And finally, the the 2023. Um, you know, we know there's work to do. We know we have to do some things to improve our club. We didn't finish the year like we wanted to, but there was a lot to be excited about in 2022. But, you know, we have to turn the page. We've got to move on. Um, you know, there's obviously some, some obvious needs. We're going to have to address the catcher. Um, you know, have to look at, at how we want to augment our offense. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, you're always in need of pitching. So, um, you know, those will be our that'll be our focus as we enter the GM meetings and uh, work our way up to to winter meetings. So, at this time, be happy to take a few questions. Well, uh, when you brought Jeff Albert in, you wanted to develop an organizational philosophy for hitting. Will the, the foundation of that philosophy remain in place, or do you want to change things? from the foundation of the philosophy? Uh, I think uh, Jeff accomplished exactly what we were hoping him to do. Um, he, he modernized our, our hitting program, our, our strategy. I think he uh, you know, made a, a huge uh, uh, contribution to our minor league side. So I think from that standpoint, it was a success. I think you know when you look at what was happening up here at the big league level, um, I think, uh, you know, People were tough on him. Um, it wasn't an easy job. You know, our, our offense was good this year, though. I mean, you compare it to, to the league, and it, it was it was good. And so, you know, I was hopeful he would come back. Um, but I think, you know, from for personal reasons and, and, and just, you know, wanting maybe to try something different is really why we are where we are. But um, I thought the combination of, of him and Turner were, were – we're good. It was good. I think like having the, the different voices allowed players um, places to, to seek advice. And so that standpoint. So as I look to, to the future, I could imagine that we're going to try to find something that, that resembles a little bit how Jeff thought. And, and um, you know, hopefully we can address that need moving forward. How would you characterize the talk you're with, uh, with Nolan? You know, I would just say that that I'm optimistic that this will have a positive resolution. And uh, like I said, I, I, I hope that's something that we get some news on rather uh, sooner rather than later. Five days after the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. A little bit. I mean, I think like, you know, one thing you, you, you learn along the way, I think, uh, you know, clearly going in and, and, and running before you walk can sometimes be dangerous. You know, we sort of learn a little bit of those pitfalls. But, you know, look, uh, I do think like on staff right now we have Dusty, 
who you know is very progressive in his thinking. So, so we already have incorporated some modernization of that. And then, you know, when you lose somebody like a Mike Maddox, you 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 know you right away realize you lose that that wisdom, that experience. And so, trying to find that right balance on on what that really team looks like moving forward is, is something that we're going to have to uh, try to address. The, the coaches that you did not mention by name, you expect all of them back? Yes. It's possible, yeah. You've uh, historically rewarded your coaches in the minor leagues with promotions up here. Would you anticipate that, if you had to guess right now, that that would be the predominant way that you're going to You know, I don't know. Um, historically, that is something that we have tried to do. Uh, but I think in fairness to this process, we, we, we have to explore both inside and outside. Um, I don't think I anticipate it that we were going to have these four openings as we as we sit here today. Um, so you know you have to zig and zag and, and, and adjust. But like you know, speaking with Ollie this morning, I, you know, you, even though this is you're, we're losing some key people and, and people that helped us be very successful, you really have to approach this as just an opportunity, right? And it it, it you hope in the end it allows you to be stronger and. and more prepared for the future. So that's how we're going to have to think about it. Once again, you're hearing Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, speak to the media via KMOV's stream. If you missed it, he said that Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, and Brian Eversgard will not be returning this upcoming season with the club. I don't think I'd characterize it as because we haven't been in the World Series in a while that, that we're going to rethink our strategy. Um, I think we always go into the offseason understanding like what our urgency should be. It might not be the same as yours or, or maybe public perception, but you know, we, we, we know that we had a successful season. We know we did not have a successful October. And, but I think we all as fans realize like, you know, no matter how well you play in a season, there's no guarantees you're going to have a successful October. So you know, we'll certainly uh, try to address the club, try to um, improve it wherever we can. And, um, you know, hopefully over the next three or four months, we can call that a success. Can there be a um, simultaneous pride in the way the team plays in the regular season and the flip side, a simultaneous, I don't know if the word is anger or frustration of how the team continually doesn't make the NLCS or even win a game in the NLCS since 2014? Um, I think that's your narrative. It's not mine. Um, mine is that we win baseball games. You know, we, we get a chance to play in October. A lot of teams can't say that. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to try to uh, put together a roster that gets us there, and we hopefully, uh, you know, have more success in the future. I think the commission raised Have there been any surgeries on players or surgeries that are planned in the offseason? Um, not that I'm aware of. So, no. Yeah, I would say both both have their own uh, separate narrative. I think it, in Mad Dog's case, he's just done it for so long. He's just really looking for a change of pace. I think in, in Jeff's particular case... I think there were some levels of frustration and, um, you know, feeling like took a lot of the blame when things weren't going well. And for him, I think it's just open to uh, to change. Did you try to reassure him that you 
you have this, but was the blame you're talking about outside forces? Yeah, I mean, I like again, I I was prepared to offer him a contract, um, but before I even got that out of my mouth, he had already told me he was he wasn't coming back. Does he have another job? Do we know at this point? I don't know. Well, you mentioned Dusty. I think he'd be a candidate. I oh, certainly would be a candidate, yeah. Do you see also candidates in the system to take over Jeff's position as well? Russ Feinman, for example? Yeah, I don't really want to get into, like, all the names, but as I said earlier, I, I do feel like we, we have internal options, but we also want to understand what the outside world looks like. Well, I the concept of staff changes. It's been a while since this organization needed a catching instructor for obvious reasons. Has there been any thought of adding one to the 2023 staff? Um, there's been a lot of discussion on what we might also do at the minor league level, but we have not made any um, firm decisions on what that looks like. But obviously not having Yachty running um, our catching program in, in spring training, there could be a need for that. Mo, two, the two teams that did make the NLCS to kind of piggyback on what Benjamin was asking about, they had fewer wins than you, but they were still top five in the payroll. Has has the payroll dynamics of the National League changed when you look at your payroll versus the other teams that were in the postseason? There's a substantial gap. Do you feel the need to close that to remain competitive? I think the good news is we anticipate our payroll going up next year. I mean, I, I know it will. Um, you know, obviously we had a lot of success at the gate this year, so thank our fans for that. Um, so. You know, you get past the pandemic and, and where we are today, we're definitely one of the few clubs that, that from a attendance standpoint, got close to, to uh, pre-pandemic numbers. And so, yeah, I definitely f know that our payroll will, will go up. Has, has the bar changed for to be, like, you have both the schedule changing next year, you have the playoffs changing. I mean, has, has the bar elevated in the National League? Because the top two seeds get the <laughs> I think, like, like, look, it's it's a long season. You have to build a roster to do that. I think, like, you know, asking these sort of almost to me like trivial questions mm -hmm. on should something like make us rethink our strategy or how we go about it. Internally, we talk about things all the time, but like, we know what we can do, what we're capable of doing, and you know, we're still going to be a pipeline-driven organization. We're still going to try to draft well. And if we can do those things, we think we can continue to have the success we've had. It's possible that you maintain your strategy and then augment it with spending. I've already said our payroll is going up. I don't know how else to answer that. No, I guess. I'm just saying that that's a fair characterization. Um, that's a fact. Payroll's going up. So Randy and then we got Ben Fred and then John will get to you. Randy? Well, since the day that you got here, the Cardinals had a pretty commanding presence behind the plate, whether it was Pags, Matheny, Gotti. Uh, defensively, guys that could really handle the pitching staff. Philosophically, is that still really important in the game and to you? And is that what you'll be looking for? And would you take offense behind the plate at the expense of that? Yeah, I think, like, you know, we, we, we debate that all the time. Like, even when we had Yachty, we were understanding the trade-off of offense versus defense. But, you know, having an elite defender or Hall of Fame catcher, really, for the last 20 years has been something that's, you know, very special. Um as we look at like what that market might look like, it's going to be very difficult to just say, oh, we're replacing Yachty. There, there is definitely some offensive upside possibly in that, but we don't want to take a huge step backwards defensively because we've built our club around defense. Similar question. What did you see out of the guys who will be back at that position or could be, and how will that factor into what you guys do in looking at outside catchers? I mean, I think Kiz did a nice job, but 
when you're looking at like an everyday catcher, um, you know, you're hoping you can find more there. Um, Herrera, young guy who got experience at the big leagues this year, but I still think there's some development that needs to happen. And, you know, he's a little bit of a different profile in the sense of, of you know, swings about really well down at, at AAA, but when he came up here, we weren't seeing that offensive production. So I think there's a maturity curve there that has to happen. Still bullish on him, but um, not sure you could just say, let's pencil those two in. I think there's there's more opportunity out there. Not really. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think he would tell you that was a, a frustrating way to finish. And, you know, I think like as we, we, we sit here and debate whether it's payroll, whether how do you build a team for October, you know, a couple of things we, I think are pretty obvious. You, you, you need your better players to be playing well, and you always need somebody that you don't expect to step up. And, you know, anybody that was, you know, sort of a part of our 06 team can remember there were there were side stories of, of people doing that with I.E. Spezio. And you think about 11 with David Freeze and, and you know, you're looking at current teams right now that are competing for the World Series and, and you're seeing how they got hot. And so, you know, look, when you when you really take a, a minute to to unpack 2022, you know, we, we, we played September flat. We went into October flat, and we got eliminated. And you know that's that's reality. And and now, um, I don't think that means we have to like totally rethink how we build a club. But you know what can we do differently to to either you know create more depth or or breadth of that lineup, and and subsequently, uh, you know how do you try to avoid those pitfalls? No, nothing. Well, the obvious is we're losing Albert Pujols, right, to retirement. And, you know, you look at, at his season, it was almost a tale of two cities, right? And the, clearly that second half, he was he was really carrying our offense, and now that's gone. So, you know, when you talk about protection to, to Goldie and Nolan, that's a real question. And then, you know, you look at, at our outfield production, I think, you know, Newt definitely uh, distinguished himself, and, and that was exciting to see. But, you know, overall production, I do think we need more of. Well, with Adam returning today, he made a pretty lengthy public statement after the season where he identified a flaw that he found in his delivery later in the year that had maybe cost him the struggles he had. What was your reaction to his identification of that, and was there frustration that it wasn't found earlier and he spent a month maybe spinning wheels trying to find it? Well, I actually knew he was going to say that well before he published it. Um, you know, obviously... You know, I, I, I kind of respect his answer, though. Like, like, you know, he has a process that, that he does on his own that, that he's had, obviously, tremendous success doing. Um, he got away from that a little bit. And since, and, and clearly, performance suffered. The good news is he feels like there is something that he can physically do differently. And uh, 
you know, clearly that gives us more confidence in, in bringing him back. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of people were, were, were blaming the coaching at that point. Um, I understand that's a fair question. I, I think, though, when you really understand Adam's process, he's not leaning on pitching as may, or coaching as much as maybe a younger player might. And, and so um, I don't think placing fault here is as important as at least we have an answer, and now we're moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of things we liked about what we saw out of Nolan this year um, in terms of, uh, I think he played a pretty solid second base. I feel like, you know, from an offensive standpoint, we still think there's a lot of upside there. You know, clearly, I think he was frustrated with how the season finished. You know, you, you look at his strikeout rate, um, his contact rate. There's some things that, that, you know, clearly he can improve upon. But I think you, you really touched on it. He's 22. So I think we can be a little patient with him. And, uh, you know, certainly his off season, he knows what he needs to work on. And, and hopefully he can seek and get the help he needs to, to improve. No, I don't think it's about reworking the deal. I just think it's, you know, he's just trying to use his time and, and, and sort of sort through some things. He asked some questions on, you know, how we were thinking about the club, what we're thinking about in the future, um, you know, topics like, you know, how are we going to deploy our resources? And, again, it was, it was a very positive conversation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, again, hopeful and optimistic that we can, we can come to a place where we're both happy and uh, and have that understanding, but he just wants a little time to think through that. So it's as simple as either he opts out or he doesn't. That's correct. All right, Claves, and then uh, Frank. Mo, do you have a timetable on doing the coach, coaching vacancy? Will you look at the, the roles of these coaches in a different manner than what the ones previously had uh, timetable is is TBD. Um, I could imagine, you know, the next couple of weeks we'll be working feverishly to get this done. Um, in terms of of could some of these roles or definitions of these roles change? The answer is yes. Um, you know, certainly uh, depending on who we identify and how they fit in, uh, we'll really determine how we think about that job description. Frank, well, how do you look at uh, Tyler O'Neill? stage of his career and would the organization do anything differently in the offseason to try to do something about his injury history? Yes. Um, so to I think Tyler has a chance to be an exciting player, right? We, we we saw glimpses of that, but but obviously 2022 was not the year that, that he wanted nor the year that we wanted for him. Um, so adjustments have to happen and I think the good news is he's going to be in St. Louis a lot of this offseason, so he'll have access to our training staff and, and you know, be able to come down here and work at Bush. So I'm excited that he'll have that opportunity for prepping for 2023, but you know, clearly he, something has to change and he has to do something different. Uh, Daniel, and then Commissioner. Uh, Mo, down, um, coaching staff, is that largely going to stay the same? Or are there any changes? Right now I would say it's it's – um, 
pretty close to complete. Um, there'll be a few changes, obviously, um, um, but we're still working through a couple of those hirings. Um, but in terms of, of the overall look of it, it'll be the same. And there could be, you know, some promotions from within. So they're not quite ready to put the it's all done yet on it. Uh, we'll have our like final roster discussion tomorrow in terms of like who we are thinking about adding and who we're thinking about resigning. So yeah, ongoing. Commissioner, then Matt. Um, relative to the outfield, how does Dylan Carlson become a better left-handed hitter? You know, I think he, he definitely was affected by his wrist. There's no doubt that he didn't have the year he had hoped for. Um, I think he tried to grind through it. But, you know, clearly we hope to see more. Um, when you're looking at, at our overall outfield production, it wasn't where we envisioned it, especially, you know, when you flip back the calendar one year and as we were planning on, on what 2022 was going to look like. So, um you know, we still think we have talented guys, but you know, things are going to have to change. And hopefully, he can come into the season healthy. And you know, I, I hope he's actually not swinging a bat right now, letting his wrist rest. And then, uh, you know, when the time is right, he can get it going again. At the end of the season, you talked about how well the coaching staff work together. As you're identifying candidates, especially with still a relatively young manager, how important is it to find guys that do fit and continue to have? Yeah, I think this past year was was tremendous in terms of what we saw down in the clubhouse. Um, the working relationship was extremely positive. Um, even though I'm saying that, we have all these changes, so it's a bit odd, I know. But, um, you know, I, I do think that's important. I, I, you know, it's such a unique business, right, where, you know, you play 162 games over 187 or 184. You're together so much, and so relationships do matter. And I think it's... Uh, you, you know, you look at successful teams, they tend to have that, that good, healthy relationship. And, um, you know, for the most part, you know, a lot of these guys that are leaving, they're going to be missed, but, you know, they're leaving for a reason. And so how we backfill for that is, is something that I think is going to be very important. And I think if Ollie were sitting here today, he would tell you that he does value that. Derek, and then uh, back to Frank after Derek. Well, for you, when you were talking about uh... – First of all, with trying to replace Albert's power, I want to ask one quick question. Is that a bit of a deja vu? 11 years ago, we're having that same conversation. Yeah. Hence Berkman and Beltran. Um, but, um, yeah, don't have a plan yet. Don't have uh, something we can just go follow. But, you know, look, it's you look at our offense, I think the key is, is how, you know, how do you protect Goldie and Nolan? in that lineup, and that's just something that we're going to have to, to look at. When you think about your lineup or your field, do you see two spots that are accounted for and the rest are open? And how maybe odd is that for a division champ? Um, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I definitely know we need a catcher. How we else redeploy, that'll be time will tell. Could you, I mean, Edmonds' versatility, does he I think, you know, right now we have a lot of talent coming. 
with Walker, Wynn, to name a few. And so I got to be very careful on what we do this off season in terms of you know making sure we still create opportunity. But um, you know we're not there yet. We have still time to discuss and how we want to think about redeploying our resources. And uh, you know as we start to explore both free agency and trade markets, we'll have a better idea what that looks like in the near future. Okay, we got Frank and then Randy. You just mentioned Jordan Walker. Uh, we know how you've talked about him in the past. With some of the things he's done in the fall league, has he expedited the learning curve that there's a realistic chance he could go to Jupiter actually competing for one of the three starting outfit spots? Yeah, I think it'd be silly for me to like rule out any possibility with him. Um, you know, he's he's had an incredible year. He's uh, you know, from a physical standpoint, he continues to get stronger. Um, from a performance standpoint, he continues to have success. So, in terms of of you know trying to think through like a ceiling for him to where he might begin next year, I just don't think that's fair to him or us. But you know, we're definitely excited about what he, he he's bringing to the table and and uh certainly glad we have him again we're hearing john mosella cardinals president of baseball operations speaking with the media via kmov stream because of that do you need to get more protection for him and what are reasonable expectations for flaherty i think the good news for jack is he finished the year healthy and and he he feels like he can have a normal off season and i think that's good news and I think the way he finished throwing was super encouraging. So um, I'm not going to run away from the, the comment I made earlier. Like, you always need pitching. Like, I'm not going to go here and tell you we have this figured out, that we have plenty of depth, because depth gets tested. But I am very excited about directionally where he's at, where he's at mentally, physically, and uh, I'm excited about what his uh, 2023 year will look like. Okay, back Jeff, and then we'll get over to the Again, it just depends on what we can identify. If we can find someone that can make that kind of impact, that would be great. If we can't, then, you know, Kisner may get more opportunity. But, you know, clearly, um, I thought Kiz had a nice season. Like, he you know, first time he really got to play at the big league level, got tested. Um, he knows what he needs to do this off season. But as far as how we pair someone with him, time will tell. Andrew, um, obviously you mentioned that more pitching the better, depth, and all that. Having said, is it kind of weird on October, whatever today is, that you theoretically have your five starters written in pen? Well, normally I'd gloat about that, but I don't want to. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's good. But I'm, I know that, you know, we're going to have to add to this. So, you know, we're not, we're not drawing any conclusions today, but we're excited that we know we can go win with five if we had a break today. Good news is we don't have to break today. It does to some level, but I think like the way we want to look at this is, you know, from an offensive standpoint, like, you know, where can we like make a difference? And, and also, you know, understanding, like looking at performance from this past year, you know, how can we extrapolate what that performance might look like for next year? And, and so I think in, 
with, with being patient about this, you know, clearly if we could have something that gives us a little protection, if, if Dylan doesn't get it going from the left side, you know, just having that open-minded thinking that, that, you know, we're not getting to May or June wishing we had done something. How important is it to have a left-handed hitter in your lineup that you play every day and maybe make your offense better against right-handed pitching? Which is sort of what I just touched on. Um, so I, I would yeah, sure No, I understand that. But someone that can make that impact from the – from the left side, I, I think would be you know, something that we will try to identify. Martin, did you have another? Yeah, would Matt Holly make sense in some of these roles? That's some conversation you would have. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go into potential candidates right now. Um, um, you know, in, in terms of how we fill some of these roles, it's it's something that we're just starting to talk about internally now, and uh, I will keep you guys posted as we uh, finalize our decisions. So how do you view your, your setup at shortstop? I mean, obviously you have Tommy Edmund who handled the position capably. There, there's big free agents at that spot again this year, just like last year. Do you feel like you need to go add to that spot because Tommy can play other spots? Or are, are you good there with, with Tommy possibly being your everyday shortstop? So the question is, are we in the shortstop market? Yes. Clever way of asking. Um, uh, now my clever way of answering it, and and I think right now is we understand that there there are options out there. Um, how we decide to to deploy our resources is still something that we're we're working through, and you know having players like Tommy Edmond definitely give you flexibility because we know they can he can play other positions. But you know one of the things you have to understand is when you when you move him off of short and where do you move him to? And when you, some people throw out the outfield, I mean, then are you really changing your offensive profile? And the answer is probably not. And so, you know, ultimately those are the things that we have to internally decide. And as I mentioned earlier, good news is we have a little time to think through that. Okay. Randy and Jeff, and then we've been going here about 30 minutes. We'll try to wrap her up. Hey, just from a, a global perspective, how much do the rules changes impact the way you build the team? Now, you talked about performing. You hope that he can play second. But the, with the pitch clock – I don't think the rule changes are going to affect how we think about our roster all that much. I think maybe a year from now we might more because we'll get to actually see it. Um, I mean, obviously the biggest thing is going to be how defensively people play with the shift. And then I think left-handed batters, do they actually improve because there's the lack of shift. But I think one of the things that we'll all probably just pay attention to is, is the game being played differently or not? But um, as far as we enter this offseason, we won't radically rethink how we put our roster together. What of Benjamin's question about having five starters in a end right now? Arguably, you have six, depending on how you look at Dakota Hudson and where he fits in your pitching forward. So what do you see? Again, I've sat up here before with 11 we could name, and that worked out well. So, um, you know, the, we're not overconfident. We, we know we can add to this, and that's how we're going to approach it. Look, I think Dakota can be a, a starter at the major league level. I think like when he picks up his pace, when he throws the ball over in the strike zone, he's amazingly effective. So, you know, I I really like him. I think you know he's a great option to have, and I, I hope he gets the opportunity to start. All right, take one last one. Daniel asked. Let's get him. Uh, no, one of the kind of overall bigger 
development of minor leagues in utilization? I mean, do you know what that could look like um, just from an organizational standpoint? Not really. Um, I haven't really heard much about it other than it's happening. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you hope it positions players to, to have a better environment for for growing as a player. Um, you know, I think, you know, Major League Baseball has done, you know, huge steps over the last few years to try to improve that with housing, with food, with travel. Um, so I guess the last uh, frontier is pay. And so we'll see how that unfolds. Well, I think from a housing standpoint, we did a nice job. I mean, you know, I think we were all drinking from the fire hose last year when we when we um, realized we were going to have to do that. I think from a, a nutrition standpoint, we've taken great steps forward. And so, like, I think overall, the the minor league experience for our players has been positive. Thank you, Bob. All right. All right. There you go. That is John Mozalak, president of baseball operations for your Cardinals, courtesy of KMOV's stream. Appreciate them helping us out there uh, to carry John Mozalak. A lot to take in there with that press conference. Uh, some of the main nuggets, and we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll react to all of this. But uh, the biggest one is Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, and Brian Eversgard all stepping down uh, from their coaching duties. So Mike Maddox stepping away, according to John Mozeliak due to him wanting to do something a little bit lighter than the heavy workload of being a pitching coach at the major league level. Brian Eversgard stepping down a personal choice as well. He was the bullpen coach. Um, but Jeff Albert, Jeff Albert stepping away uh, when John Mozeliak was willing to offer him another contract, uh, mostly because, according to John Mozeliak, the outside noise of him being the hitting coach and the frustrations that went with that duty uh, led him to decide he wanted to look for options elsewhere. Also, uh, Nolan Arenado, Mo said he's very hopeful that they'll get to a resolution shortly. It has nothing to do with restructuring the contract. It's either he's opting in or he's opting out. Um, they did say that they will be addressing the catcher, and it sure seems like they're going to be addressing that catcher in the offseason. Looking for those pitching and hitting coach spots. They'll be doing internal and external looks with that. And then also he said that the payroll is expected to go up for this upcoming season. So a lot to digest with John Mozeliak and uh, his end of the season press conference there. And we will recap that after this break. Brooke Grimsley, Tanner Hendricks, and Alex Ferrario with you. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, it seemed like a light day for us in the sports talk (laughs) business coming into work today with Skip Schumacher news and Adam Wainwright. I got excited for Adam Wainwright resigning because I'm like, all right, we've got some more Cardinal stuff to talk about. And then John Mozeliak uh, dropped the news this afternoon out at Bush Stadium that is going to be widely discussed, I would imagine, for a long period of time. Alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. So, uh, uh, reacting to John Mozeliak's press conference, I think we have to start with the biggest stuff, and that is the coaching vacancies that are available now. And I said earlier... Uh, before we send it to break, Brian Eversgard was stepping down from the organization. I apologize. I misheard that. Um, so did a bunch of people because I saw it on Twitter. So, Tanner, he's not stepping down from the organization. He's, a different role. he's not going to be the bullpen coach 
next he's season. He's being reassigned, they said. Okay, so he's reassigned. So Brian Eversgard is reassigned. Mike Maddox, the pitching coach who has been there since Mike Schilt was the manager, um, he is stepping down to take on a lighter workload, mostly the grind of the MLB season, according to John Moselak, took a toll on Mike. So Mike Maddox is not returning. And then Jeff Albert. And I got to be honest with you guys, that was stated my eyes bugged out of my head because I did not expect. And frankly, from the way that John Moselak talked, he did not expect this. They said they were willing to give him another contract extension. He talked about the massive impact that he has had on the minor league system. But according to John Moselak and reading between the tea leaves, it sounds like the outside noise of the frustration towards Jeff Albert as the hitting coach led his decision to saying, I'm going to go elsewhere. And honestly, I'm amazed because I understand, believe me, this text line can be very aggressive. Twitter can be a terrible place. But I did not realize that social media was going to be able to have a hitting coach decide to step down from his position. I mean, this press conference was absolutely wild. I mean, the fact that Wayno coming back next season isn't even your top story coming out of this is just insane. I mean, with Jeff Albert... That was really surprising to me, too. And you could really tell with Moselock and the way that he was speaking that he was very caught off guard, kind of a little maybe peeved by it. Is that the vibe that you got as well? Kind of. He kind of seemed pretty peeved by it because here's the thing. Jeff Albert is somebody that isn't just, you know, up here with the Cardinals, with the big leaguers. It's his philosophy, his hitting philosophy that's trickled down all the way through their minor league system as well. So this is somebody that Moselock... And the Cardinals front office has really invested in. I mean, you even think last season we had that surprise announcement with Mike Schilt. It really seemed, even though they never fully confirmed it, it really seems that Jeff Albert was a big reason that led to the firing of Mike Schilt or the letting go, as we put in air quotes, because of the quote unquote philosophical differences. Mike Schilt probably wanted to move on from Jeff Albert. At least that's what it seems like. And the Cardinals chose to stick by Jeff Albert. And now, I mean, to me, I see it that he will probably go with Skip to Miami. I mean, that's what it seems like, right? The timing of this is very interesting. And then if he's worried about fans giving him backlash, well, you're not going to get that in Miami because they can barely get anybody into (laughs) into their stadium. Does he even want to be a hitting coach? I guess would be my next question after dealing with this because he was the assistant hitting coach with the Houston Astros, correct? Or he worked in their their kind of category before he came to the Cardinals as the hitting coach. So does he even want to be a hitting coach at the major league level? Do you want to be a minor league hitting coach? That's that's where I am a little shocked by this news. And again, it was Jeff Albert's decision, it sounds like. But I I wondered if the Cardinals were going to consider, and I think me and BK had this conversation. I think Katie Wu was in studio with us the day after they were eliminated or the Monday after they were eliminated of – I, I'm a little surprised they didn't just move him to kind of a behind-the-scenes hitting coach, someone that's up in a front office role that is kind of overseeing the landscape of the minor leagues because that's what he was doing, but he was also being the hitting coach in the dugout for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I, I that's why I'm a little shocked by the, him stepping down because I think he is a – I know a lot of fans don't want to hear this, but I think he is a big loss for the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, you look at the way that some of these minor leaguers have just skyrocketed through the minor league system, 
Part of that is because of Jeff Albert's hitting philosophy and the stuff that he has been working on down in the minor leagues to help get those guys. Jordan Walker and his uh, bat speed and hitting the ball 110 miles an hour. Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, all these guys have come up through Jeff Albert's hitting philosophies down in the minor league. So I think this is a big loss for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I know Cardinals fans hate for me to say that, and I'll I'll take the heat for saying so. But I do think this is a major loss for the Cardinals organization. My gut tells me that they will probably look for someone to kind of take over his role outside of being also the hitting coach. Like I, my, my gut tells me Turner Ward will probably be the hitting coach next season. He may have an assistant that, uh, assistant that they bring in from the outside like Ward was this past offseason, or they have someone in, in the minor league system that comes up to assist him. But I do think they will name someone as kind of a hitting instructor or whatever the role was for Jeff Howard that oversees their entire minor league operation. I, I, look, I understand where you're coming from, T-Bone, and I do agree. Like I think there are going to be um, uh, there. Are going to be there's going to be negative outcomes from losing Jeff Albert and for the people that are texting in on our air comfort service text on at 65780 saying name one minor league player that came up through the system and has crushed it for the for the Cardinals at the major league level I mean you can't deny what you saw this season from Brendan Donovan from Juan Yepes for a chunk of time from Nolan Gorman being a 22 year old and having the success that he had but it's not so much the guys that are being a part of the major league system it's the guys who are skyrocketing in the minor league system and Mo mentioned that he talked about how this is more of an implication towards our minor league system for him having hands in everything Jordan Walker has become one of the top players if not the top prospect in all of baseball Mason Wynn is now in the tops of that categories Moises Gomez is a player that the Cardinals are talking about internally now about possibly being an option for them. You saw Alec Burleson come up. You're seeing these players that are in the minors that are moving forward. So you can't sit there and say Jeff Albert had zero impact on this team. But with that being said, they've survived without Jeff Albert and they can survive without Jeff Albert again. And I'm wondering, it is very, very, very hard for me to believe that Fans' frustrations towards Jeff Albert led him to want to quit that position. I'm just wondering, and this is me, this is my opinion, this is internal stuff, I'm wondering if there was issues in the within the team this season with Jeff Albert and saying, like, yeah, it's working, but it's not the way we feel comfortable, and that's what led to this. I Well, first of all, T-Bone, I hope you have a little bit of thicker skin than Jeff Albert does because you know that people are going to come after oh. you after that statement. Tanner that you reads just the made. text line twenty four seven. He knows it. <laughs> Tanner can handle it better than anybody. But and that's I I'm I agree with you, Alex. I mean, there's absolutely no way. First of all, does he have a Twitter account or something? How is he even Everyone's aware of what's going on? I, I mean, yeah, he has to have some sort of burner account. I'm not buying that. It was just too hard for him to deal with the pressure, with the outside noise. There had to have been some internal noise going on because I think it's no coincidence that you have this many people exiting at the same time as well. That was the first thing that stood out to me outside of Jeff Albert leaving is that you also have Mike Maddox leaving, who has been kind of a staple of this pitching staff for a while for the Cardinals. I mean, you you have so many people leaving at the same time. Skip, I mean, that's a given. He should be able to get an opportunity yeah. to move on. I mean, everybody knew it was a matter of time for him to become a manager of some team. But still, to have this many people exit at once, I mean, you could even tell Mosellock was pretty taken back by that. Yeah, I, I think Mo was shocked because I think he expected that most of the staff was going to be brought back, but I don't read too much into it because I like the Maddox one to me isn't that surprising because Mike Maddox has been doing this for a long time, so him wanting to take a step back, do 
take as most said, it's kind of slow slow down a little bit. That's not much of a surprise to me. The Jeff Albert one is the one that stuns me because of him just leaving the role and the Cardinals were prepared to give him an offer. And then the Brian Eversgard one, him deciding to just take a different role and or being reassigned. Like that's more of a decision on the Cardinals part. Yeah. So I don't read too much into the decisions of the uh the changes on the coaching staff. Really the one that shocks me is the Jeff Albert one. But I I saw the text line text in and say, well, Nolan Gorman, Dylan Carlson, those guys were just platoon bats when they got here to the major league level. Jeff Howard didn't help with those guys. No, I don't I don't read into that. Nolan Gorman was a rookie. Rookies are going to go through ups and downs. You heard Mo address that. Hey, we know what we want Nolan Gorman to work on. We Dylan had Danny Carlson's Mack the saying, one, though, that you look at. Dylan Carlson, though, and again, it, it could be just an excuse from from Mo, as they did with Paul yeah, DeYoung. Because uh, he mentioned the wrist The problem. previous year with DeYoung and his rib. The way I look at it is I think they're – they definitely think something was wrong with Carlson's wrist because we saw what Carlson was his uh, he was full out rookie for year. Pretty significant time, T Bone, and when he came back, you would think that like, okay, this guy's got to be. Healed. I mean, he missed like two months this season. Yeah, but a wrist injury can last a while. So, I I understand that some people will say that's just Mo making an excuse for Carlson. I think that's a legitimate potential issue that Dylan Carlson had that bugged him for most of the year, and we saw spurts when he came back that he looked pretty good. So. I think that Carlson may have been just an injury-plagued year. I think that uh, when we talked to Danny Mack yesterday, he kind of mentioned that as too. Don't know what he was going through. Maybe it was part of the injuries that were impacting him. I don't think Jeff Albert was the reason that those guys did not have success. I think Nolan Gorman was going through the rookie processes that every uh, major leaguer has in his first year. I think Nolan Gorman's going to be pretty good this coming season. I'm expecting a big year from Nolan Gorman. Same for Dylan Carlson. I expect a bouncy back year for Dylan Carlson. So I don't think Jeff Albert was a problem with those guys. And as Mo said in the presser, the offense was pretty good last year. They just all went cold at the same time in September and it continued into October, and that's when they got bounced in the playoffs. The bottom line is those guys are gone now, and now you look at what the options could be because Mo said it multiple times in that press conference. They're not changing the philosophy of this team to where they're drafting players or developing players that come through the pipeline and they impact the major league team at some point in their career. That's going to be the system. That's going to be the philosophy. But when you look at those two massive openings for Ali Marmal, you sit there and say internal or external. And I know everybody's bringing up names right now. We mentioned them earlier. Matt Holiday. Everyone hopes that Matt Holiday could be the hitting coach. I would imagine it's an option. I would imagine they're going to reach out to him. They're going to exhaust all options here. But I'm kind of with Tanner. On the hitting coach side, I fully expect that to be an internal hire. Because you keeping the philosophy means you're going to keep guys who have been through it with Jeff Albert, who's had his hands on this throughout the last few seasons. And I know uh, uh, BK just texted us a little bit ago, Tiger Peterson, who is the hitting coach in Springfield. He's probably going to be in this conversation. Turner Ward, as T-Bone mentioned, is going to be in this conversation. The pitching coach is intriguing to me, though, because I don't know if there's anybody in your system that you look at and you say, yeah, you promote this player. And maybe there is that I'm not knowing because I'm not as in tune with the minor leagues. But you know the first name that just came to mind for me? Hmm. Chris Carpenter. Ooh. And I don't that know if that nice. happens because I think he, he just signed with the Angels as like yeah. a, a, a mental skills coach with the minor league pitchers. Who knows what that option is going to be there. But this seems like an external decision by the Cardinals and for how much they're going to put an impact on pitching this season and Mo mentioned you can never have enough pitchers and Wayno coming back and you've got a good looking rotation on paper that's going to be a pretty influential hire by the Cardinals to make sure you can carry over the mindset of this team that Mike Maddox had and bring it into this new pitching coach 
Man, that would be perfect having Chris Carpenter. What if you just had like a whole throwback? You had I know you had everybody's Matt Holiday, saying, you have coach Chris Albert Carpenter. Pujols, uh, bring in Matt Holiday. Yachty can be a first base coach. And then why not bring in Matt Car- uh, pit- uh, Chris Carpenter for the pitching coach? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Mo did say there towards the end of that press conference that they hope to get some uh, answers on that fairly soon with where they're going to go with all of that. And they said they're meeting tomorrow uh, talking about the roster. Let's take a break. When we come back, the roster is the other big thing that we heard because uh, despite them saying they're not changing their philosophy, they did say that payroll is increasing. And that creates a whole new conversation. And is anybody still concerned about Nolan Arenado? I think it started to sneak in once they heard what Mo said. So we'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We know there's work to do. We know we have to do some things to improve our club. We didn't finish the year like we wanted to, but there was a lot to be excited about in 2022. But you know, we have to turn the page. We've got to move on. Um, you know, there's obviously some some obvious needs. We're going to have to address the catcher. Um, have to look at at how we want to augment our offense, and then also, as I mentioned earlier, you're always in need of pitching. So. Um, you know, those will be our that'll be our focus as we enter the GM meetings and uh, work our way up to to winter meetings. That was John Mozalock earlier today from his press conference, kind of wrapping up the 2022 regular season, and alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, you heard him list off the three spots that they're focusing on. Obviously, fixing the catcher position, uh, and he said it numerous times, which tells you that they don't seem to be banking on Andrew Kisner as a everyday catcher. And he also mentioned how, in his opinion, Yvonne Herrera needs some more time to grow. Still very bullish on him, Mo said, but does need some more time to grow into that everyday catcher. So the catching position is one area that they're focusing in on. The other position that he talked about was augmenting the offense. And he mentioned in the press conference that a big thing for them is going to be finding protection for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And then as you heard him wrap up, they're always in need of pitching. And guys, all of this ties into the biggest news that John Mozeliak stated, and that it's payroll will increase. That was the quote from John Mozeliak. He said it multiple times. And if that's the case, you were at 170 mil last season, I believe, Tanner. I think it was right around that spot. And we've already done the math that if they were going to get back to the same threshold that they were at this past season, you're talking about $40 million available to them. If payroll is going up, and if finding protection for Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and if they're addressing the catcher spot, and if they're looking to augment that uh, offense, there's some jobs to be done that isn't going to be satisfied at least from the way Mo said it, by just adding some complimentary pieces. Well, I first of all, I think it was really good that he at least addressed that payroll is going to increase because, as you mentioned there, the Cardinals kind of have been league average when it comes to payroll. And you have the best fans in baseball. You say that over and over again. And the fans show up. They were second in Major League Baseball. He thanked the fans when yes. he said payroll will and go up. So now it's time to, you keep saying this is the best fans in baseball. You have them showing up in troves mm-hmm. to Bush Stadium. 
then yes, now you need to increase the payroll because I think it's very clear from the fan base that just finishing and getting kicked out in the first round is not enough for this organization and this franchise that has, I mean, so much history to it. You need to be doing more. And if that's the trend that things are going, then the Cardinals need to show that they're not going to be behind the times, that they are going to move forward. And I think, too, with the payroll increase, it's good to have that out there because the other key part that he said is that he's working on a resolution with Nolan Arenado when it comes to if he's going to opt out or not. And here's the thing. Nolan Arenado is a competitor. I think he loves being a Cardinal. He loves the Cardinals. He said that over and over again. But at the end of the day, he's a competitor. He wants to be a part of a ball club that is going to go out and compete hard every single season and puts the team in a position to do so, getting the right pieces. He's been very vocal. One, we know how he was with the Rockies, and he was very vocal when he was dissatisfied with the lack of moves that they were making. Mm -hmm. And even... Not saying that he's been frustrated with the Cardinals at time, but he has been vocal, especially before the trade deadline, that we needed to get yeah. more pieces. Said, I don't want to just get into a wild card spot. I so, want to win the division. Yeah, I could see that Nolan Arnauta would want a little bit more confirmation that they are going to go out and get the pieces that they need so they can get past this first round. You want to compete not just in the division, but in the league. Well, and for me too, T-Bone, Keith Costas was with us last week. And he brought up, you know, yeah, it might be time to kind of get away from the norm of not going out there and being aggressive with those high-end free agents when you've got all of these names there for you. And they brought up the shortstop position, and uh, Mo did his Mo way of saying, well, I'm going to cleverly answer your question about the shortstop, and essentially said, you know, there's these guys out there, we know that they're available, but we also know that we have internal pieces that can play the shortstop position, citing Tommy Edmond. So initial takeaway is, yeah, they're probably not going to be aggressive there with that shortstop that's staring at you in free agency. But to me, if you make the statement that our payroll is going up and you say it multiple times and you thank the fans, I don't think you can justify saying that and then going into the offseason and then signing Tucker Barnhart and Corey Dickerson and calling it a day. You well, better no, not. I, I, <laughs> I don't I don't think they I don't think Mo makes that announcement if they're not making some sort of something significant, right? Yeah. So they're not they're not gonna just say that and then end up doing like what they did this past offseason where it was go get Steven Matz on like a mid market starting pitcher deal and then go get complimentary pieces on one year five million, two and a half million dollar deals. No, I I think the Cardinals announced their presence today that hey we're gonna be players in free agency. Now Mo did a pretty good job of kind of not tipping right. his hand at where that's going to be because now I will say this. I'm not sure it's going to be Contreras at catcher because he was asked about the philosophy yeah. of the catcher position and how you move on. Do you know, do you think defense or do you do you care about the defense to sacrifice offense? And he basically kind of said, well, we don't want to take a major step back defensively. And based on everything that is depending on how they view handling a pitching staff, do they view that as being a defensive minded thing? Will that impact how they approach Wilson Contreras and his free agency? I don't know. I, I think if they're looking at the offensive back catcher, it is definitely Wilson Contreras. I still am a believer that they're not interested in the uh, shortstop market. I think they will be looking for an outfielder, though. And I know that he said that O'Neill's here training in St. Louis, but he said he's got to get things figured out. He said he thought Newpark kind of established himself, but it, it still didn't feel like that was, hey, we're going to go all in on Lars Newpar. I think they're going to be big spenders. I'm not sure exactly where it is going to be, though, because I think Mo did a pretty good job of hiding his cards in terms of what they might look to add. Yeah, and I think it's understandable when you hear him, when, when you hear Tanner mention big players. Like, we're not talking 
Nets, Dodgers, Giants, big players, but it's away from the norm where I do believe, like, hearing him say that, I'm not sitting here believing Aaron Judge is going to be a Cardinal after this season, nor am I believing that Trey Turner is going to be a player for this team uh, after this offseason. But I do think it opens up the possibility for guys like Xander Bogarts, guys like Brandon Nimmo that you're mentioning, T-Bone. And I still believe Wilson Contreras is going to be one of those options because it fills two voids for them, the bat. And I I know people don't agree that the defense is there, but it does fill that hole of the catcher position. But I think the Nolan Arenado thing ties into this. And T-Bone, if we have the John Mozeliak cut of him talking about Nolan Arenado in that opt-out clause. You know, I would just say that that I'm optimistic that this will have a positive resolution. And uh, like I said, I, I, I hope that's something that we get some news on rather uh, sooner rather than later. He clarified that it has nothing to do with contract restructure. It's either him opting in or him opting out. But what stuck out to me and how this ties into the offense overall is, and this might be usual, I brought this up to T-Bone during the commercial break, but he went to Nolan Arenado and they had the conversation. And... I know Mo didn't relay that conversation on into the media, but if I'm going to read between the lines here, Nolan, who was outspoken, like you said, Brooke, of not wanting to just get into the playoffs, wants to win the division. Nolan understanding that this team got bounced again. I wonder if Nolan looked at Mo and said, hey, we need to go get some offensive pieces this season. And that's where I think the payroll conversation comes into play. That's where I think finding that other bat comes into play here. Because if Nolan wants that, if Paul Goldschmidt wants that, if they believe they have an aggressive team, it all ties together with that opt-out. But with that being said, I'm not concerned Nolan Arenado is opting out. I am very optimistic still. I don't believe there's any chance that he's gone. No, I I don't either. But I think, as we were just talking about, it's more about getting those missing pieces because Nolan Arenado is highly competitive. He wants to go further than just the first round. And I think, too, that what Mosellock was saying and indicating is that they're not going to fully rely. Look, I think Jordan Walker is a stud. Is he going to be ready next season? I think that he kind of indicated that they're not just going to rely on that. They're going to slow play him. Exactly, which I think is honestly best for Jordan Walker, for him to get fully adjusted. We know that Mason Wynn is not fully ready yet, and they're young superstars. There's absolutely no doubt about that, but banking on them next season isn't going to get the Cardinals any further in the postseason. You need to go get another bat, and he even mentioned that. He said that they're going to possibly look at a left-handed bat, and I think that that's something that the Cardinals clearly need and there is a lot of question marks into how they will handle this I think it's at least encouraging that he mentioned that the payroll will increase that's what you want to hear because look there's a lot of things that you need to address because now too outside of hitting are you going to look at what does this mean for Jose Quintana and will they have the money to possibly bring him back and what will that mean to the pitching staff as well I, I find the left-handed bat thing to be fascinating, and I know we were going to talk about this a little bit. Well, we we're going to talk about the outfield options until we uh, had the Mo press conference today. But, <laughs> until he blew up our entire yeah, rundown. Mo went with the mic drop moment. Thanks, Mo. Uh, Mo. Multiple ones. <laughs> uh, but I find it interesting. So we've had multiple people come on the show. We had Keith Costas last week. Um, Mike Farron said it last week with us on the show that he believes that they still need that left-handed kind of power bat. And then reading through Derek Gould's chat on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he was saying the Cardinals' focus is probably going to be on a power-hitting outfielder. Well, when I look at that outfield market, and I think that Nimmo's an impact bat, but he's not a 
pure power bat. And when I say pure power, yeah, he'll hit you double, so he'll get you about 10 to 20 home runs, depending on how many games He's kind of Dylan Carlson plays. power, where your yeah. 15 might be the best-case yeah, scenario. he's not like 30 home run pop potential. But there's not really a lot of those guys on the market. I mean, Jack Peterson may be that guy, and he's but he's not a everyday outfielder, which I think they're looking for. Now, maybe they do want to go with those splits in the outfield, and they look at Jack Peterson, go a one-year deal, and he mashes right-handers, and you don't have to worry about him playing against lefties. But I, I just don't know exactly where it is in that outfield. And after hearing the press conference, I almost think they try to run it back with the outfield and hope that things work out. And maybe they try to invest in, maybe they try to kill two birds with one stone. John Zalock said that their their main goal is, yeah, we need a catcher, but also we need to supplement and support Arnado and Goldie. Well, maybe that's where you get the Wilson Contreras and you kill the two birds with one stone. Or, and then or, maybe they look at that shortstop position. I, I still don't know how they view that shortstop well, spot. Well, and here's the thing. Nobody's a lefty in those situations. Like all of the big names, they're all righties in this situation for you. But the lefty can be that complimentary piece. Maybe the Jock Peterson is that signing where it does sound like Tyler O'Neill is going to be on this team next season, despite what some people believe. You might be going into next season with O'Neill and Bader and Newt. Or Bader. Sorry, he's in New York. O'Neal. Oh, come on. That's gar- stung. It's stung. Real quick, I'll guarantee he won't be here. Ten years, $100 million <laughs> contract. That's a good guarantee, T-Bone. O'Neal and Carlson and Newt Barr, and then maybe that's where the Jack Peterson comes into play here until Jordan Walker is ready. But maybe that's the complimentary piece that lefty bat. And then the big bat is the other item on this list. But again, the fact that he stated the payroll is going up, and I, I see everybody's text coming in saying, yeah, he said the payroll is going up, but that means you just get five guys for $3 million each. The way he stated it tells me that they, it's not going to be the typical our payroll is going up or we're going to be right around the same. It seems like this is going to be a little bit of a different offseason, acknowledging those pl- those players that are available via free agency. But again, you can say all of this and then expect what the Cardinals will do and get more pitching and not the offensive help. So we'll have to see. Coming up in 15 minutes, they seem to be sold that their rotation is filled out. But Mo kept stating pitching, you can never have enough of it. Does that mean that that's still an area of focus in the offseason? We'll get to that and more. But coming up next, we've got the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. So have you guys seen the movie Marley and Me? No. You haven't seen that? No, I haven't. Because you don't want to cry. I've seen Marley and Me. Because you think like to I cry. Have. Yeah, man. It's the, no, it's, like, you know, it's the movie I with like Owen Wilson, Jennifer my... Aniston with the dog. They adopt the dog. Jennifer oh, Aniston, okay. does it? <laughs> okay, so you haven't seen it Marley and Me. It does not have Jennifer Aniston. I would bet sure. you a million dollars that Jennifer Aniston is in Marley and Me. Well, regardless. Is she? <laughs> Two million dollars. So. Go ahead. Google it, Tanner, while we're on the air. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, if there's one thing you don't question me on, it's who's in movies because I know my movies. Anyway, the reason I bring this up for the junk drawer today is because I assume I have the world's worst dog. My dog <laughs> loves to jump up on our counter. Last night, I made a uh, chicken enchilada pizza for myself and my daughter, and I put it on a tray, pushed it all the way back on our oven until my wife got home from work so she could eat some. Go to put my daughter in the bathtub and get her ready for bed. I come back, that pizza is gone. 
The dog jumped up on the oven, found a way to put his paw on the tray, pull it towards him, eat it all. I was ticked off, which is why my voice is in and out today, because I was screaming bloody murder at this dog. I thought I had the world's worst dog until I brought this topic up to Brooke today. Brooke, tell the people what happened. Yeah, so um, here's the thing. We we have a puppy, my fiance and I. We we got a puppy, and she's eight months now. Her name is Stevie, named after Stevie Nicks. Um, nice. And so she has T-Bone, a. You know who that is? No. <laughs> You're joking, right? No clue. You're Stevie joking, Nicks. right? Love, we, yeah, need okay. a, we need a daily segment called T Bone <laughs> Doesn't Know It. Either way, so like Stevie Nicks, she has a wild soul, and um, she's gotten through like a little bit of a chewing habit. So basically, what happened was this weekend. Uh, my fiance and I were watching a movie late into the night. I took my rings off because I just I hate having things on my hands. It was my grandmother's ring um, that I have on one hand usually. And then my engagement ring, obviously, on your ring finger. And I took them off. I put them like next to the table on the couch. And here's the thing is like she's been decent. She doesn't chew on f- uh, furniture or anything like that. So I didn't think anything about it. I was tired, left the rings there. Wake up in the morning, and my fiance was furious. He saw something shining in the sunlight, like on the ground, and it was the diamond from the engagement ring. Oh. She had chewed it out of the ring. So, like the prongs, like for so the. So she didn't even eat the whole thing. She chewed it apart. Yes, she chewed oh. it apart. Oh like God. a freaking menace. So, my dog oh. is also a German Shepherd Rottweiler mix. If that oh, yeah. kind of gives you like an idea of how strong she is. Um, yeah, so she got it out of the prongs, like ripped it out. The prongs were messed up. We couldn't find my grandmother's engagement ring, and nothing gets my fiance but my grandmother's engagement ring, I, and that meant like a little bit yeah. more to me. Oh. We couldn't find that. She also chewed on that as well. So, so did they you are, find it as eventually, or did she? We did, eat that? yeah, but she also had chewed on it as well. Oh so there, we're we're hoping for a miracle that both will be fixed just fine. Um, the jeweler did say that he oh. has seen worse, where you have to wait for the dog to poop it out. So at that, least well, we didn't have to do that. That's why I brought it up because I just assumed you were gonna have to. Find Follow your dog around with a hose and wait for him for her to pass the ring. That'd be ring. so bad because she's she's oh. big, so she she has big. All right. poops. Can I say poops? Yeah, you can say okay. poops. I mean, we all know the junk drawer story that I had last Friday with you and I at uh, Centene, so you can pretty much say whatever you want here. But uh, again, I thought I had the world's worst dog. Brooks dog might take the cake because she, that was uh, she's sweet. But other than like yeah, a, I think we wanted to murder her. That might be like an eight to nine thousand uh, dollar chew toy that your dog found <laughs> on the uh, on the table. Brooke Grimsley, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. We'll take a break in 15 minutes. We're going to get to more likely to happen. Chris Kerb is going to join us at one thirty. But coming up next, Cardinals seem to have their rotation completed. But does that mean they're done on the pitching side of things? Don't think so. We'll get that next year on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, we know there's work to do. We know to do some things to improve our club. We didn't finish the year like we wanted to. But there was a lot to be excited about in 2022. But you know, we have to turn the page. We've got to move on. Um, you know, there's obviously some some obvious needs. We're going to have to address the catcher. Um, have to look at at how we want to augment our offense. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, you're always in need of pitching. So 
Um, you know, those will be our that'll be our focus as we enter the GM meetings and uh, work our way up to, to winter meetings. Well, that was general manager and pre- no, not general manager, president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. Hockey. No, I, I said general manager because I did the, the shoemaker thing that Brooke did earlier. I, he said general manager. General manager was in mind. You don't got to drag Brooke down no, with you on your mistake, man. Cool, man. It's, it's hard. Look, I'll, look. Talking's difficult. It is. It Come really on. is. Come on, you bot. Okay, enough of, enough of you, Tanner. No, Mo, of course, listing off uh, the to-do list checklist for this team in the offseason. And uh, you mentioned the catcher. He mentioned the offense. We've talked about those. But he also mentioned pitching. And to both of us, when we opened the show today, or all three of us, I should say, along with Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, Adam Wainwright re-signing basically told me they're not going to be in the market for a pitcher because your rotation is set. You've got multiple options that could be in the rotation if injuries occur. And then you've got your bullpen that's pretty much locked down, it seems like, with the exception of a couple of players and how they're going to come out on the other end and if the Cardinals decide to bring those players back. But it sure as heck sounds like Mo's still viewing this offseason as saying we might still want to be in the market for a pitcher. Now, I don't think this means Jacob DeGrom or Carlos Rodon. I think this the payroll's is, going up. Payroll is going up, but I think they got other issues. Remember the offense that can't hit in the playoffs? Tanner, you remember that. No, man, they were close. Oh, yeah, they were real close. Um, I think we're talking like the Drew Verhagens. I think we're talking, people are not going to like this, the Aaron Brooks they're talking the the lower level pitchers that can be assets to the team rather than be impactful pieces on the team. You don't want them to go out and get like Noah Syndergaard or something like hey, that. If there if I can get the God of Thunder on my team, <laughs> I'm taking advantage of it, and he might be a World Series champion. So why not? Yeah. Well, and it, here's the thing: is they pointed out. I mean, a lot of things that they have to go get. You have to think about the catcher position as well. You have to think, I mean, the fact that he brought up a left-handed bat. So I'm just looking at, I know he said payroll is going to increase. I just wonder by how much. Oh, by $50 million, Brooke. They're going (laughs) to... Pass that threshold, the luxury tax. Yeah, uh, they're yeah, not. yeah. They're not, guys. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to fully buy into that. <laughs> oh, but come on. I think that one. I'm still, and I've mentioned it like probably a million times by now. I feel like you have to find a way to bring back Jose Quintana. I'm full in on that one. If not, then I think that you should go get somebody else because I think it's time to get away from the pitching philosophy of you know ground ball guys. You know, you you need to have a little bit more swing and miss stuff. You need to have more ace level like guys on your staff and that's not a knock against anybody but also at the same time too the only guy that you might have like that of course we haven't seen a fully healthy season of Jack Flaherty just yet Jack Flaherty is that guy essentially is what you would hope as long as he doesn't get injured again which I know that's something that people love to bring up a million times but I I think that they should go out and maybe find somebody else yeah I I I agree with what Alex said. I think they're going to end up looking for more of those depth guys, looking more at the Aaron Brooks, bringing a guy that's going to come in on like a minor league deal. Hopefully we hit on that. Hopefully that's a guy that can come in and be a sixth man in the rotation if we need him. And honestly, I know like they said they're in on that market. It could be bullpen arms too, looking to uh, get in, bring in more veteran presence to the bullpen. I know I heard BT talking about the uh, yesterday when they were talking about uh, Chris Stratton and his arbitration potential. If, he, if they decide to bring him back at his projected, I think it's like three and a half Clint million dollars. Said it or too let him go. with the opening drive yesterday, talking about how maybe they need some guys who have more movement on their pitches rather than swing and miss stuff. Yeah, I, I I think they're still in the pitching market, but I don't think it's at the level of 
Quintana or Syndergaard or guys like that just because I think the rotation is filled and it's going to be hard to sell starting pitchers on, hey, hey, come over here to St. Louis. we got a winning team. Oh, yeah, where do I get to start? Well, uh, you're kind of the sixth man right now. Here's the thing. we got teams that don't stay healthy, so you'll get a start at some point. Yeah, I just think it's tough to sell those guys on that, but I, I do like the idea of them bringing in more swing and miss. I'm just not sure they've got room to do it this offseason because of the rotation being filled out. Next year, you've got Wayno that'll come off the books, Flaherty coming off the books, and Michaels coming off the books. That's the, that's next offseason is the year I think they're looking for that swing and miss stuff. The thing is, you're going to have to find a pitcher who's willing to accept a role of being in your bullpen or possibly pitching in the minors until you need him, if that makes sense. And I just I don't think there's guys out there unless you are looking on that Aaron Brooks style, like a pitcher that I love that we talked about earlier this season was Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber came out of the bullpen for the Rays this season or in the postseason. Is Corey, Corey Kluber willing to be a bullpen piece for you? Can you even use him in the bullpen? Probably not because well, not so much use him in the bullpen, but probably not be a bullpen piece because why? Because there's 29 other teams that'll be look some. I don't know who's all got the rotations filled out already. But some will, somebody will offer him a starting job, even you know if it's what, a bad team like Pittsburgh. You know another one I like? I love the idea of Michael Lorenzen. I brought his name up before. He was a bullpen pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. But the last couple of seasons, he's got an opportunity to start, especially this year where he started 18 games for the Angels. So, like, this is the biggest problem that you're going to run into if you're looking for pitching and you want to get a guy who's available for you to be a starting pitcher. There's not a lot of guys that are going to be willing to accept that role. So I think if I'm John Mozeliak, I go into this and I say – Let's go into the bullpen market like we just talked about and see if we could just get asset pieces where we're signing them to minor league deals to where they come in, they compete for a bullpen spot, and if they don't get it, guess what? You can be in the minors for us. That's where I think you go address your pitching needs. And not so much the guy that they bring in to go into the minors. They may look to force some of these guys that were in the bullpen in the postseason like a – I think they like Zach Thompson, but I'm throwing him in here because he fits into this category. Guys like – Zach Thompson, Packy Naughton, um, Andre Pallante, who's kind of a Swiss Army knife for you that could be a starter and can be a bullpen arm. They may bring in more of a veteran presence just to push those guys and continue to have uh, competition going into spring training instead of going into spring training going, all right, here's six of our bullpen arms. Now we just got the one that's going to be filled out. No, going to spring training with a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say uncertainty because that's just the wrong word, but more of that competition of we've got three spots and we're looking at six pitchers that can fill those opportunities for the Cardinals in the bullpen. I want the Cardinals to go crazy. I need Mose yeah. to really just change the pace of this. Are you look, thinking DeGrom and Verlander? I, I want something crazy. Whoa. Here's the thing. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling maybe some trades. I mean, you also have Ooh. Jake Woodford. I could see somebody who could be, that you could possibly have a trade piece there Is as well. Is it bad? I forgot about Woodford. I was just going to say, you have Jake well, Woodford, but he's in witness protection most of the season. He kind of went through the Brad Thompson of like the going up and down constantly. He got the that treatment. He got the BT treatment. He got the uh, Memphis, uh, the Memphis uh, shuttle. Memphis yeah. shuttle. Thank you. I was so I, I think that you there's a lot of pieces that you probably could move around. Also, what about Jordan Montgomery? What is, what is he going to mean as well? I mean, is that somebody that you also tried to use as a trade piece for something? I think it's going to be a matter of. It seems like only they know internally what's going to be the top priority. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be catching, which I know that Mosaic mentioned over and over again. Was the one. Is it going to be the left-handed bat? Is it going to be shortstop? Is it going to be pitching? Whatever that hierarchy is and that order that the Mosaic and the Cardinals front office is going off of is going to really depend on how things shake out. But I want to see just a complete – I want to see the Cardinals do something that we're just not expecting. I, I'm for Juan Soto. 
Oh, wait, they missed that. Really, man, he had to... Yeah, it still that. stings, damn it. Get over it, man. Hey, it take it would doing something crazy would also take the heat off of whatever's going on with all this all the coaching changes as well. That's true. I, I wanted to uh answer a text that we got here from the five seven three. Uh it was Stephen Matz. It was I don't think Matz is guaranteed as a start in a starter's role. If you sign Rodon, you could bump Matz to the bullpen. I don't think the Cardinals will do that. But why? Exactly. Because and I know a lot of people him. will say, Well, Matz came out of the bullpen for you in the playoffs. Because he was hurt. Because he was hurt and he didn't have time to build up as a starter. The Cardinals brought Stephen Matz in to be a perfect number uh five starter. Really, he Honestly, was brought in last year as a three, three four. But then when the pitching broke and now with the additions that they had and Michaelis is healthy, I mean Stephen Matz is a above average like number five he's like a typical number three and he's going into next season as like your number five so i i don't think they look to either a trade match or b put steven Matz in the bullpen i think the rotation is set i i don't think that i think mo saying that they were looking at pitching is more of what we're talking about those depth starters look at guys that are going to be into the bullpen um i i can't see us saying Oh, and I don't know, I'll say two months' time that, whoa, breaking news, Cardinals sign this guy. How is the starting rotation going to work out? I just can't yeah. see it. Mo's bow tie doesn't get that crazy. No, no. He that's doesn't even wear a bow tie anymore. It only looks on professional weird. days. Wasn't wearing a bow tie today. Well, it's, it's still a, look good, though. It's, it's a, la- it's a laid-back day. Got a lot of meetings to deal with at this time. Guys, the simple solution is this. Just trade for Shohei Otani and Mike Thank Trout. You. That's how you deal with yes, this. Hey, exactly. more likely to happen, the Cardinals trade for Shohei Otani or sign Jose Quintana. That's a scenario we'll answer coming up next. Send us yours. Air Comfort Service text line. We're not really going to answer that because it's pretty simple. Which one was more likely? We'll get to more likely to happen <laughs> next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. That's the voice from me yelling at my dog, so I apologize. That one was, Tanner, it's been a rough week for me, buddy. Yeah, man. It's been a rough week. We need to go to retirement. You think so? On the singing. No more singing? Yeah. Uh, people, you don't got it no People more. listen to that solely. People listen to this show solely for my singing. Mm. That's why they listen. And send me the uh, text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 agreeing with me so Tanner can uh, think that that's more likely to happen. You see that segue there? Because that's the segment that we're doing. No, what happened? No, I no idea. Chris Kerber is going to join us coming up in our next segment. Brooke Grimsley, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson with you. Let's start with this. More likely to happen, the Cardinals spend big on an outfielder or spend big on a catcher? I'm going to say spend big on a catcher because just for the fact that Mosellock mentioned that, I can't even count how many times today. It was a lot. Man, I I think I'm going to lean towards I think I'm going to lean towards outfield just because I'm not convinced that they're sold on Wilson Contreras. And just because of the comment that Mo had, uh, he said something he was asked about taking a do you sacrifice some defense behind the plate for offense and he basically said well, that's something we'll look at, but we don't want to take such a major step back defensively. So it but is makes he me that much of a step back defensively. Well, I think it depends on how what they're defining as defense. If you're just going off of blocking and his arm, which he's got a cannon of an arm, which we talked about yesterday, they may not feel that bad against it. But if you add in like managing a pitching staff, then I think that is something that may end up hurting Wilson Contreras. I'm 
I'm telling you, I would not be shocked if Contreras takes a takes the qualifying offer by the Chicago Cubs. I think they're going to tag him, and I wouldn't be stunned if he takes that offer. I'm not sure how much a market he's going to have. So I, I'm i going to say more likely to get an outfielder. I think they'll do both. I think they'll end up signing like Tucker Barnhart, Martin Maldonado to a deal at catcher, and then the big spending will come into the outfield. Shortstop, I mean, I don't think they're signing anybody there. Yeah, unfortunately, I kind of agree with you on that, but I think it's more likely that they sign the catching spot. I just, I, I, I don't think there's outfielders out there that give them the better options than what they have with the exception of Brandon Nimmo, and it doesn't sound like that's going to be an option for them because there's nobody else that's out there that is the left-handed, power-hitting, great defender that you'd want there. It seems like they're going to be banking on the guys that they have and maybe add a complimentary piece uh, moving forward. More likely to happen... Jordan Montgomery or Steven Matz makes more starts for the team next year. Mm. I would. S- I wonder if people are falling into the trap of believing Jordan Montgomery is going to be the number two on this team next season. What do you mean the trap? Do you really think he's going to be a number two? Weren't you the guy that was sold on him being like the starter for game one at one point? Yeah, until the Ooh. blow up at the end of the season. I said Jose Quintana needed to start game one for the final week of the year. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't be shocked if Montgomery's your number two next year. And the reason I say because that. Because of Flaherty? Well, partly because of Flaherty. Because think, there's no way he's going to be above Miles Michaelis. Oh, I I wouldn't be shocked if he's above Miles Michaelis. And the reason I say that is because Miles Michaelis pitches more to contact. So Miles Michaelis may, I'm not saying Michaelis has a bad year, but you can see an uptick in Miles Michaelis's numbers just a little bit. Montgomery, they really liked his swing and miss stuff when he first came over here. Jack Flaherty's got swing and miss when he is right and if he is healthy and pitching at to that level that we expect out of Jack Flaherty. So I wouldn't be shocked if Jordan Montgomery is your number two at some point next year. I think when Brooke mentioned they could use some more swing and miss when we were talking about the pitching at 1 o'clock, I I think their gamble by bringing back Adam Wainwright is that Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery are going to be the guys that provide that to this rotation. But in terms of who makes more starts, I'm still going to say more likely Jordan Montgomery because I don't think he's really dealt with injuries except for the year he had Tommy John. Maybe that's a sign that eventually he's going to break, but I'm going to take the optimistic side and say that's not the case. I'm going to say more likely Jordan Montgomery gets more starts. Tommy John has become, I mean, like a rite of passage, I feel like, for starting pitchers now in the big leagues. It's not not a matter of if, it's when. Yeah, because usually they've started at a very young age uh, pitching-wise now, so I I feel like that's just the way that things go. I'm going to go with T-Bone on this one um, because I think Jordan Montgomery, I think that was just like a little bit maybe of just like a adjustment that he went through. I mean, he was fantastic when he came over. And even though you hated to see Harrison Bader go, and obviously it's kind of hard to see his success that he had with the Yankees. Um, it, I feel like with Montgomery, you know, he was the reason or one of the big reasons why you even made it to the postseason. He was exactly what the Cardinals needed to get to that point. More likely to happen, Sean Murphy or Tucker Barnhart are wearing a Cardinals jersey next year. I I feel like Sean Murphy would kind of make sense, but I'm not really exactly sold on either one. What if I told you that Sean Murphy was going to cost Nolan Gorman, Zach Thompson, and... Uh, Nolan Tom- Gorman and, let's say, Michael McGreevy or uh, Gordon Graceffo. Uh, the McGreevy one, I would rather give up Nolan Gorman, honestly. Yeah, get rid of both, though. That's the yeah, problem. you're giving up both. Oh, no. Ugh. 
Well, that kind of changes things a little bit, but I do have to stick with what I said earlier. Is I want a complete overhaul. I want trades to happen. I want chaos. So whatever it takes. Brooke wants to see Philadelphia winning the NLCS. She wants grease <laughs> on the light poles, people climbing, dogs and cats living together. I'll climb the light pole if they just get in. Did you get that reference there at the end? Wait, what was the reference at the end? Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> Sorry. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go season two. Unbelievable. I'm going to go more likely that they uh, sign Tucker Barnhart. I, I, Sean Murphy makes sense and his numbers aren't bad. The problem is, is he's going to cost a lot uh, just in terms of what the assets are that you're going to have to give up. Because the reason I mentioned Nolan Gorman and the reason I mentioned, and it's going to cost a pitcher like Graceffo or honestly, Tink Hens or uh, Michael McGreevy is because Derek Gould in his chat the other day said that the Athletics are looking for a young pitching prospect, and they're also looking for a pretty much a major league-ready talent that has more control than Sean Murphy. And that just seems like a lot that the Cardinals wouldn't want to give up for a guy in Sean Murphy that's good but not great. So I, I think it's more likely they sign Tucker Barnhart. I'm with you. I think it's more likely Tucker Barnhart because I just don't think they're going to trade for a catcher when they've got names available to them via free agency. And Mo said it. They're very bullish still on Ivan Herrera. So it seems like they're going to get somebody for a couple of years um, until Herrera is ready to be that number one guy. A couple more until we get to Chris Kerber. More likely to happen. Kairou scores 30 goals or Robert Thomas gets 100 points. Why can't we have both? Dang. Because I feel like both could happen okay well right? let's, let's change it because i'm with you i think both could happen more likely to happen first kairu scores 30 thomas gets 100 points thomas gets 100 maybe and that's just me thinking that jordan kairu just has a seems like he's kind of had like an unlucky break he's had some opportunities and then you just had the goalie be absolutely lights out and robbed him of those opportunities mm-hmm. i think that he will break through it's just it's taking a little bit longer and it is just four games but still I think I'm going to go with Kairou scoring 30 goals because 100 points is a lot. And I think I think Thomas is a great playmaker and is a guy that can average a point per game. But getting all the way up to that 100-point threshold is going to be tough. And I think Kairou has the potential to be a 30-goal scorer. So I will say Jordan Kairou gets to 30 goals more likely. Yeah, I'm actually going to say Kairou getting to 30 goals too um, because I think... Thomas will get to 100 points, but not until he starts to shoot the puck a lot more because he's going to have to be a 25-goal scorer if he wants to get to 100 points. Jordan Cairo, uh, as soon as the chemistry clicks, he's going to be that 30-goal scorer for uh, the St. Louis Blues. So I think that's the one that's going to happen first. Brooke Grimsley, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. We'll hit you with the BK and Ferrario Rewind and your chance to win Smashing Pumpkins tickets. But coming up next, Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the ceremony! Refreshed by Randall's, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com.
count that, that big bang. Blues and Oilers in action tonight. 7 o'clock puck drop with Curbs and Joey. First community credit union pregame show starting at 6 with myself and Joe Vitale. Alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. As we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now and welcome in voice of the Blues, Chris Curbs, or Chris Kerber, Curbs, let's start with um, with what took place yesterday with the news of Pavel Buchnevich going on IR and Tyler Pitlick signing the one-year, one-way contract. Pitlick looks like he's going to be getting the start this evening for the team. What's your expectations for Pitlick getting in the lineup? I think I'd rather talk about the confirmation that the Jeff Albert era didn't work. <laughs> oh, no, wait, wait that's a... No, oh, oh, right, right, right. Hockey. No, I we. Hey, because uh, if you want to start with Jeff Albert, we could totally do that. That uh, he had to step oh, down because the I, outside noise was too loud. Uh, no, I, that's uh, no. He's, he uh, stepped down. I, I think might be a unique way to put it, but if <laughs> it's kind of be what we nice. had been. Listen, if if what we had been told was actually reality and working, he wouldn't be going anywhere. So. That's uh, that tells you that, but that's that's sports. So it's sort of like bringing it back to the hockey. It's like the Butchnevich thing. Well, it's pretty clear that apparently that first day that he missed wasn't a maintenance day. <laughs> it was more of okay. Let's let's try to get things going, and and obviously something wasn't going and wasn't getting better. Now on the road trip, he did take, uh, you know, he, he took line rushes. He, he he took line rushes that that, that day uh, and. And, and you're sitting there going, okay, maybe he's got. But then the fact that he wasn't out there for the rest of the power play, you know, practice, you know, kind of tells you all you need to know there. So the good news is that goes back to the last time he's played the IR. So when he does feel ready to go, he's in there. The signing of Pitlick, we kind of knew it was coming at some point in time. That's why he had been around the team. He'll he'll be in the lineup tonight. Hard nose hits. He'll use his speed. And, uh, and I think that's going to be a key for tonight as well. So an interesting decision. Uh, to make that lineup change versus a lineup that had already beaten the Edmonton Oilers one nothing. It, it curbs uh, real quick because the biggest question that we got yesterday when the news came down is why 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 is the NHL so secretive when it comes to these injuries? Uh, any any way to enlighten people on that? Well, yeah, it's gotten to the point. I, I've never liked the policy, uh, never liked it, but it really started where uh, one you know, and th- this is an interesting part of this. Players sometimes don't want their injuries out there. And I think sports always flies in the face of certain privacy functions that all the rest of us in this country seem to get. But the other reality of it is is general managers are concerned, hey, we put out that he's got a bad finger, he's got a bad wrist, he's going to get chopped at, he's going to get slashed at. Now, I actually agree and understand why that's the case and why they would think that way. But the reality of it is eventually players all around the league know what injuries are anyway. I'm not I think it was it was Matt Walker at one point in time was out with a shoulder injury, and I actually found that out from a former Blue that was in town as a visiting member of the other team, right? So <laughs> well, players eventually find that out. The, the frustration and the idiocy of the upper body, lower body thing, I get it. That's why – but now it's gotten to the point, honestly, guys, that when, when somebody tells me, oh, this player's hurt, I don't even ask what the injury is. I don't even worry about whether or not it's upper body or lower body. Um, you know, I just say, all right, guys hurt. He's not playing. What's next? Curbs, we were talking about this earlier. Obviously, the Blues special teams last year was huge for them. And then now this season, I know I get it's just four games. So this is a very small sample size. I feel like we have to keep saying that over and over again because <laughs> they've played so few games, Curbs, which is insane in itself. But obviously, the penalty kill, fantastic, perfect. 
power play, how does the Blues improve that? And what do you think? Is it just because we're just four games in and they're trying to build some chemistry? But how do they improve that area? Yeah, I don't know about you guys. It's almost like that phrase sample size has become my like my least favorite term in sports, right? <laughs> yeah, that and reevaluated. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least at least when they say reevaluated, we know he's going to be out a little bit in terms of long term. I think, uh, well, like you mentioned, I mean, the, for the penalty kill to not have allowed a shot on goal in the first three games was impressive, and then despite the five power plays in the last game by Winnipeg, including a minute six of a five on three, there was only a total of seven shots on goal that came through nine minutes of power play time. That's actually for the other team. That that's actually really good. The power play, look, the power play is going to be a little bit of a, of a feel it out. You've got the one power play unit that's set. Now the injury to Pavel Buchnevich impacts that. The impact of Brandon Saad it takes another option out of you. And that second power play unit in that last game, you know, had, had Ryan O'Reilly pretty much with the young guys. You had O'Reilly and Falk, and then you had Neighbors, you had Brown, and you had Cairo. And I talked to Ryan O'Reilly in the practice before the skate, and I said, okay, you got young kids, you got new new guys. And Logan Brown looked at me and he said, my job is to get open for that guy. Okay. So I talked to that guy, which was Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly says, Ryan O'Reilly, you know, he says, look, we, we got to shoot the puck. We got to keep it simple, shoot the puck quick. And I think we saw a little too much, you know, guys looking to make plays. And, and to me, to me, the, a good power play is shooting the puck. Um, you are not, we are not going to see the blues have a very good power play. If at least one of those units doesn't have a one-timer threat. And we've already seen one of the two power play goals for the Blues be a one-timer threat and, and a one-timer goal. You've got to be have a one-timer threat like David Perron had, like Alex Ovechkin does, like hell, go back even to the days of Al McKinnis it was there. you know. And if you don't have that, these other teams are too good. If Vladimir Tarasenko is going to play on the left side on the power play, stay outside the dot, collect the puck, and then shoot it, he's not going to beat many goaltenders. But where did he make a great play? He carried the puck inside the dot. Craig Berube likes to call that the house. He carries it inside the dot. They had to play him for a shot because it was a much better shooting angle. He passes the puck over, boom, power play goal. The one-timer has to be part of it, and that's something that I think you're right, Brooke. It is early in the season, too, uh, so some of that chemistry will get worked out. Couple more minutes with Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who is with us here on our Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Blues and Oilers in action later on tonight. Kerbs, we were going to talk about this earlier, um, but we didn't get the opportunity to. But I am curious, Jake Neighbors, uh, you're now four games into the season with him. And, you know, Doug Armstrong had the, the quote at the beginning of the year talking about him. If he's that 10 to 12 range of forwards for the team, then Doug believes the philosophy is better if he gets more ice time in the minors. Right now, the injuries have piled up, so he's a able to get more ice time but have you been impressed with jake neighbors early on or do you feel like maybe there's a little bit more growth for him uh i think there's a thousand times more growth for him um but that doesn't mean that i haven't liked what i've seen so far i I think what i've seen is a young guy coming in uh making the team playing on a road trip uh I, i think I think you've seen him throw the body around a couple times. You get out of position. I've seen some extremely smart play. And I, and I remember the conversation with Joe Vitale in, in the Edmonton game, and we're just looking at Jake Neighbors and like he just he hasn't made a whole lot of mistakes. Now, if fans are sitting there thinking Jake Neighbors is going to come on the scene and light it up for 70 points, your, your expectations are just a little cuckoo. 
You know, I, I think right now, yeah, I, I like what I've seen from Jake Neighbors. Good, solid play, willing to check. And he's learning here at the pace of 12 or so minutes a game and when it comes to ice time. Look, if the Blues get really healthy and they want to send him down to get more ice time, they have that option. But I think I, I think so far Jake Neighbors has met the expectations of what I felt the start of the season should look like for somebody in his course. Man, I talked to Ryan O'Reilly about him again after I was – because, again, he was on that power play, part of that conversation. He goes – it is amazing to see a guy come into this league as young as he is and just fit in right away. He's fitting in with the room. He's fitting in in practices. He's joking around with guys. He's talking to players. There is not a social awkwardness to him. There's not a level of uncomfortableness in any way to him. And his teammates absolutely love that. And Ryan O'Reilly said, he goes, he goes, and then it's sometimes he goes, you can just see he's got that fun energy, just so happy to be here. And that's good for all of us. And that, that, that has value to this team as well. Herbs, once again, I just want to say this because I know that you love hearing this. Small sample size, yeah. but of uh-huh. course the Blues are <laughs> – I'm sorry. I started laughing because I just – you said you hated it, and I just need to say it one more time. But yeah, the Blues are you. 30th in the league in shots per game. How do they improve that, and what do you think it is there? Is it just, you know, that they're kind of having a lot of people coming in and out with injuries? Is it just getting adjusted and chemistry, figuring that out with each other? Or how do they improve that moving forward? Well, Alex has the coach's show already in his email box, and he can pull a clip from there of Craig Berube talking specifically about that and then uh, use it to tease the game tonight. Because I asked Craig Berube exactly that question, Brooke, and – yeah, I said, are you getting enough shots on goal? And he paused and said, yeah, you know what? He goes, I think we are. He, he goes, I actually like our scoring chances. So I said, all right, define the difference for our fans and scoring chances and, and not. A scoring chance, the Blues consider a scoring chance to be anything from what he calls in the house, which is if you take go from the goal post and you angle it out to the faceoff dot, and then you take that faceoff dot straight back to the top of the circle, and then you connect it. You can basically create a home plate. Any shot that gets on goal in that area is considered a, a scoring chance. And now outside of that and some others, they consider, you know, grade A, grade B, grade C scoring chances. He would like to see the team get to 12 scoring chances a game is a good number. Because if we can get to 12 and hold the team to fewer than 12, we, we're, having a, we're having a good game there. So if the Blues have 12 scoring chances but only 24 shots on goal, Craig Berube is really going to like your chances there with the skill of our team. I tend to think personally, I'd like to see a little more volume of shots coming. I think that sometimes this team, because they're so good at playmaking and shooting, that that maybe they're trying to make the perfect play versus just create a little more havoc in front of the net. I think to succeed in the playoffs, you need a little more havoc. So I, I think that total is going to go up as the chemistry grows with them. But right now, at least the coaching staff seems to think that they're doing okay in the shots on goal department. Curbs, it's only a short sample size, but I'm looking forward to this one starting back up tonight. Uh, Oilers in town against the Blues. Yeah, you know what? We're, I, we're, we're, here's the question. <laughs> How many games in does it no longer become a sample size? You know what? That's great. It's the same question as like, <laughs> at what time can I start saying this evening? Because that 3 o'clock game against the Oilers, if I say afternoon, people get ticked off. But if I say evening, people get ticked off. Uh, evening starts at five o'clock. Oh, is oh. that is that like a thing? Um, it, it is or for is me. I don't know if it is for everybody else. So that's that's it's my world. We're, we're in the afternoon until we get the four. Or if it's four o'clock or so, you could say early evening. 
right? Yeah, because you think but, of like the early bird special for but what if I like, what, if, what if I like to eat at 2.30 and I go to bed at 5 o'clock? Then that's my evening, then right? Still, no, that means you're going to bed and you're, you're eating in the afternoon and you're going to bed in the evening. All right, I'll have a, I'll have a conversation with my grandpa because he does that. Actually, Tanner, you do that. You eat pretty early and oh, go to bed. Solid 5 o'clock bedtime <laughs> just hits the spot. Curves. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is one in the morning tonight or tomorrow? Oh, it's tomorrow. If it's the morning. Tomorrow. As soon as you okay, as no, soon no. as you cross the path the threshold of midnight, it's the morning. Wait a minute. Do you if if it's one o'clock in the morning and you're out with your friends at a bar, do you say, Well, we gotta go home today, or do you say we gotta go home tonight? Oh well see that's where the problem lies for me, Curbs. I say, Why is it mid why is it one o'clock in the morning and I'm out still? So I should have been in bed four hours ago. I say where's my Uber? <laughs> I say the bar doesn't close for another hour and a half. Curbs, party animal. Curbs is the party animal himself. Hey, no, a little bit of a tease there for you. The Blues are in Nashville tomorrow night for a matchup between the uh, Predators. So Curbs will be able to shut down that bar out in Nashville tomorrow. Uh, Tonight. Oh, yeah, he's going to get there tonight. Ah, See? See? Oh, my gosh. If I stay up till 3 in the morning, that's still part of today, not tomorrow. (laughs) Be be careful with those honky-tonks, Curbs. <laughs> Go get that karaoke machine lit up, Curbs. Appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, we'll see you uh, tonight out at Enterprise Center. All right, you guys. Have an awesome day. Thanks. There you go. That's Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Hey, if you can be texter 101 and tell us what Brooks' dog ate from the story in our junk drawer, you will win a pair of tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins. We'll come back with the winner, and we'll come back with the rewind next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to win those tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins. You got a bonus chance to win those tickets at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 ESPN app. Smashing Pumpkins with special guest Jane's Addiction next Tuesday night, November 1st at Enterprise Center. Tickets for that are on sale now. As we're closing things down here on BK and Ferrario alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Guys, we'll, we'll end it where we kind of began once John Mosellock made the biggest statement of the day by saying that Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, and Brian Eversgard, Eversgard being transitioned into another role, Maddox stepping away personally, Jeff Albert opting not to come back. Uh, what felt like it was already a big offseason for this Cardinals team now becomes even larger when it comes to addressing the offense, filling some holes, and now finding out what your new pitching slash hitting coach is going to look like. So it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of months for this team once you get into hot stove season. I, I mean, a lot, a lot happening. The fact that, I mean, I thought this was just going to be like a little, oh, by the way, Skip's leaving and yeah. then we're going to bring back Wayno. And it was like one thing after year. another. And he quickly listed it all off. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is a lot, <laughs> a lot of different changes happening. I think it's really clear. I personally believe that Albert is going to go with Skip to Miami. I feel like that's buying into that. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm interested. I'm not buying into that. Social media is the reason that Jeff Albert decides to give up on what he's been working hard to build within the Cardinals organization, and that's not just with the bigs. That trickles down all the way through the minor league system as well. I feel like 
he, maybe he won a change of scenery. And also, you go to Miami, there's less pressure. But I just don't believe that Twitter, social media is the reason that you give up on, I would assume, would be his dream job. Hey, social media is the reason I go home and cry every night. So It's not, what is it that uh, head coach Eli Drinkwitz says? Like, it's not real. Twitter's not real. <laughs> Twitter's not real. Well, he's starting to believe it's real, considering now that people are questioning his offensive play-calling ability. No, he'll still say it's just <laughs> fake. <laughs> That's true. Brooke Grimsley, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrari. If you missed anything from our show today, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Stick around the fast lane coming up next year on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.